everyone, it's Michael Antonovich with Swap Moto Live. If you've been following along this offseason, then you've heard about the moves made by riders and mechanics in the pit area. We cannot remember a time as hectic for mechanics as this one because, in addition to the usual changes from one rig to the next, a handful of guys have decided to leave their positions entirely. Matt Winters is one of the few that decided to call time on his wrenching career. Paired with Colt Nichols at Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha in 2021, the duo scored three main event wins, finished on the podium in every race, and claimed the 250 East Coast Regional title, a career-first championship for both the racer and mechanic. It was a massive moment for Winners, a Maryland native who would work for three high-profile teams. During our call, Winners went over almost everything that happened during the past decade, like his early aspirations shadowing local tuner Shane Sneft, how he became Cooper Webb's legal guardian, what it was like to build a bike from scratch at Red Bull KTM, the chassis changes he and Shane McElrath made to a Troy Lee Designs Red Bull KTM, and how he returned to star racing for a second stint. So, given all that success, what would make a guy want to stop? Matt was very forthcoming in his reasons and said that finally accomplishing a lifelong dream was one of the things that made him reconsider his priorities. Fortunately, fellow former mechanic Christian Ortiz helped winners get lined up with the new gig at SpaceX with the position at the Aerospace Group's Florida facility. Just to give us some background, uh, what what was your inside into moto? How did you get started as a mechanic? Uh, pretty much. So I grew up in Maryland, and then, um, you know, I was just a normal kid, just playing sports and whatnot. And then, you know, just watching motocross on TV. I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'm give that a shot. And then, long story short, just like everyone else that becomes a mechanic, wasn't good enough to make it. And then, um, yeah, like I'd always grew up around cars and um, you know, I was always really hands-on, like, on the farm, like, working on tractors and cars and, and anything like that. And then, um, yes, yeah, so I did, couldn't make it as a dirt bike racer. And then in high school, I got a job at a uh, local motorcycle shop doing parts. And um, one guy there, uh, Shane Snaft, um, he, um, he was a mechanic for MB1 Honda and, like, Jacob Saylor. And couple and Ryan Abrigo, like a couple guys like that, and he kind of took me under his wing a little bit, and I started going to races with him, you know, just helping out however I could, just carrying tires at Dunlop or doing whatever, mainly just watching really, and um, and then yeah, just went to MMI, and then that was pretty much the start of it. Okay, uh, what year is that? Like how old? Because how how old are you now? You're in your like early thirties, huh? Yeah, thirty two right now. So yeah. I graduated high school in oh seven. And then um, I was working at a dealership during my senior year and then um, went to MMI at the end of 07 through 08. And then uh, the whole time I was in uh, MMI, like I would fly to a couple of races, like High Point Buds. Um, I think I went to a couple more. And, like I just helped out like with that Wonder Warthog thing. Like I was pretty tight with them. And they're like, dude, just come up here. Like we'll take care of whatever you need. And, yeah, I worked for Michael Blows for a couple of races. That was really cool. And then, um, yeah, and then I'd fly back to Orlando, go back to school, and then try to catch another race whenever I could. That collective experience—that's kind of similar to what the Wonder Warthog thing is right now, huh? Like, just to—if you were a mechanic that wanted to get involved in something and get paired with a privateer and learn the ropes, like, would that be the equivalent of what you were doing back then? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Cool. So. um the MMI thing, this is, there's a lot of people that are split on, like, how do you get into it? And I know quite a few of you guys in the pits did go to MMI, uh, but you really did it, you know, from the ground up, even at the local dealership level before that. 
what did MMI teach you? And is it the program you thought it was when you went down there? Like, what was it different or the same that you expected? Um, I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Because, like, it was back then, it was, like, MMI and then AMI in Daytona. And, um, like, I knew going into it, I was like, look, it's going to be a lot of street bike stuff setting you up to be a mechanic at a dealership. I was like, that's not an option. Like, I have no interest in doing that. So I'm just going to try to learn as much as I can here. And then, um, you know, try to make it as a motocross mechanic. I was like, that that was the only I had no interest in going back to a dealership and being a mechanic working on bikes there and quads that just could come out of swamp. Like that doesn't interest me at all. Even to this day, I would not do that. And then, um, yeah, but so I would say that just more so geared you towards like a dealership mechanic. But if I had to do it all over again, I would probably go to Scotty's school and go that route because I feel like Scotty is setting you up to go right into the pits professional side. Like he's got a couple kids that, that have already just jumped right in and shit have won a championship in their first or second year, which blows me away. And then, um, there, you know, he's got guys on teams that do good. And I mean, it shows they're on teams for a reason. Mm-hmm. And Scotty's thing is cool too, because it gets dropped directly in. He knows so many of you guys that were at, factory teams, you know, satellite teams, whatever. He's been in the trenches with you. And because you guys all know, like, he's only going to bring you good candidates. It's not going to be somebody that's kind of a scatterbrain or something that's going to be in the way on race day. Right, exactly. Like, you're getting dropped. Like, when you leave Scotty School, like, you're getting dropped right into a team. Like, you don't have to go work for free, you know, find a couple privateers, maybe on arena cross like I did, and then just keep working up or even try and get hooked up with a amateur kid and then hopefully you can catch the the good amateur kid and then go pro with him like there's not a lot of mechanics that are able to do that but i mean thankfully i was able to do that with cooper but i mean yeah it's pretty scotty's stuff is pretty good right now because you're literally just going right to where you want to be which is awesome i wish that would have been there for me in 2007 instead of having to work for free for um five six years you know just grinding just hoping to make it one day okay so then leaving mmi um how long was the program how long were you down there and then what prospects did it give you to leave it to go into that rough patch after that yeah so i went to mmi the end of seven through eight i did um I did all the programs and like I went to the first day, like when you get to work on brand of, so I picked Cali cause I think that had like the most dirt bike stuff. And I went to the first day of it and then I was like, well, this is the same stuff we've already done. Just working a little bit on different things like jet skis and, and motorcycles and side by sides. I was like, this doesn't interest me. I'm out. And then, so I was like, you know what? I can take whatever money I'm going to save and I'm going to go to a suspension school. So I went to a race tech suspension school and learned suspension in California on my own at 18 years old. Um, and then, yeah, I just tried getting hooked up with different uh, arena cross riders, still going to the races with Shane and helping out with Jacob and then just trying to get my name out there as much as I could. Okay, so then just to drop out of MMI and just bounce to the race tech thing, what drew you into their program? Because Paul has a very interesting thing, those seminars. You can learn a lot in a very short period of time from one of the best guys in the industry. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Like where I was at MMI, I was like, I'm not going to waste another nine months and another $10,000 down here just working on side-by-sides and jet skis. I was like, that's not where I want to go. And that's not what I want to do. So I can take that money and put it towards Paul's school where I'm going to learn suspension and the basics of it that will help guide me like with the motocross side up. Cause, Cause the whole goal was motocross, like motocross, supercross, that's it. So I was like, look, I need to know and understand suspension. And then that'll carry me a little bit farther. Like if I can just keep building a little bit, a little bit, that'll be good one day. All right. What age did you realize like, Hey, I'm going to be a motocross mechanic. Like at what point was it? Not anything else. I want to be a race mechanic. Uh, it was when I was still in high school, when I was working at that dealership, like that was the goal. Like I didn't know, that's all I've known growing up. It was just, you know, mechanic being mechanically inclined, doing whatever. I was like, I'm going to be a mechanic one day. And then really when I went to, um, when I was going with Shane to like supercrosses and outdoors, he was like, Hey, go take your resume and go hand it to Mitch Payton and talk to him. And I'm like, dude, no way. I'm 18 years old. He's literally going to look at this and throw it away as soon as I walk away. He's go And he kept pushing me. He's like, go do it. Go up there and talk to him and hand it to him. And he's like, he'll remember you. <laughs> and so I did that at Indy Supercross. And, dude, I was scared shitless. And I'm sure he, like, I went up there and introduced myself, handed it to him. And I'm sure he threw it away. But just right there, I'm like, you know what? One day I will be here. Like, I don't care how long it takes. What I do, I was like, I will get here one day. And I did. Hell yeah. I like it. I mean, I know, I know the feeling, so I know exactly how that feels, you know, to have to approach somebody and then give them, you know, this really limited book of work that you're just like, I'm proud of it, but it might be kind of shitty. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, like, I knew, like, I was like, look, I'm nowhere near ready for doing this shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I was like, I'll be there soon. But I'm like, but he's like, just go. He's like, just go talk to him. I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, okay. Who was on the team at that time? Like, had you already been talking to some of the other mechanics when you would see them around at the races? So you kind of had an in or was it just cold right up to Mitch? Yeah. Just cold right off. Right oh, off to shit. Mitch. Oh, like, shit. Because I got the time, like, you know, you're looking and you like pro circuit was the team then. Like, I can't remember who was on the team, maybe like Villo and Townley. It might've been 08 actually. So Townley wouldn't have been. Oh there. yeah. This is like when they're going on tears. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's, that was a dream. Like, oh man, I want to work there one day. And then, um, you know, just from being at the races and talking to people, that was when, um, like MySpace and all that was big. So dude, I would like message like Ben's mechanic, Craig at the time. I was like, Hey dude, like, how do I go about this? And what do I got to do to get in one day? And he goes, and he was like, dude, just come to the races, talk to people. He's like, don't be scared. Like, just come up, introduce yourself. He's like, people will remember you. So I went, like, Craig would remember me and just give me like, graphics or whatever from my Cali that I had. And then um, I would talk to Kranz every once in a while. Just guys that were in it, just, I just go introduce myself and be like, you know, you guys have anything open yet? Like, I know I'm not ready yet inside. I'm like, but whatever if I can get my foot in the door or at least you guys remember me, like when I am ready, like I'll, I'll be great at rock and roll. Okay. Uh, when you were a kid, who was the mechanic, you know, you looked up to, cause you would probably, as an East coast guy, you know, you do go to Bud's Creek. You got a couple outdoor nationals in your backyard that you can go to. 
was there even as a high schooler like a guy that you were like that that's the mechanic I want to be like a guy that came up on ESPN or speed or whatever it was when they would do the pit interviews or a guy that was in the magazines or someone's work that you noticed yeah um really like i i really looked up to um shane um like sailor's guy just because he had me under his wing like just guiding me like i really looked up to him he was he was almost like a big brother to me and then um craig beale actually ben townley's mechanic is someone that i like i always just watched and just talked to a little bit he was always really nice and badass mechanic just how like he came with Ben from KTM when Ben was in Europe, came to Ben when he came to America to PC and they went to Honda with him. I'm like, man, like this dude's gotta be badass if he's following Ben through his whole career, you know? Mm-hmm. And then um yeah, so he would always just help me out, talk to me. And it was funny, like when I was at KTM in two thousand fifteen and we did the G P at Glen Helen, Craig came back over with Ben, or I'm sorry, Craig is at PC now still, and PC helped out uh, Ben do that race. I think he was on a Honda. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Craig, yeah, and Craig came over to the pit to uh, the KTM truck, and he was like, he was like, Matt, he's like, you remember me? I'm like, hell yeah, like I remember you. He goes, good job, buddy. He's like, you did it. And I, I was like, man, that is cool. Like, to, what were we, um, eight, nine years later, he remembered me, and I don't know if, like, if he was just seeing watching me progressing and now I'm on rebel kitchen. He's like, good job. Like you did, you did it. You're just a kid back then. And now look at you. Yeah. I have that with biggie over at Yosh. Like he's, uh-huh. he's one of the same guys. The first, right before I met Don for the first time, actually I met biggie and he was the one that hyped me up to talk to Don. And every time I see him now, we're just like, yeah, thank you. Like if not for that, <laughs> you know, you got to put me on and he's seen how far I've come now too. And it's because <laughs> same thing. He kind of set that bar and told me, what to do and what to look out for and how to do the job a bit right. when I needed some help. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So then getting hooked up with Cooper Webb, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, that's the dream writer. You got him as an amateur. You saw how all of that goes. Um, but you guys didn't have, you know, everybody knows the story about Cooper. You guys were kind of scrappy. So what's that like? <laughs> yeah. So I got offered a job to work for Cooper. Um, the first time I got offered it, I think I was it was 2010 or 2011. He was still been on uh, mini bikes. On and that JGR Honda. On that JGR Honda, yes. And then um, one of my buddies um, out in California, he called me and goes, "Hey, I gave your number to Bob Webb, Cooper's dad. That he's gonna call you. They need a mechanic." And so Bob called me, and then, um, long story short, is I thought about it, and I'm like, "Man, I'm I'm not." ready yet to do this like i know i'm not good enough yet to be able to kind of manage this program like because you're when you're an amateur guy you're managing the whole thing you know you got five six seven bikes and you're going practicing doing all the bike work like you're doing everything so you're kind of managing the whole program and i'm like you know what i'm not ready yet but thank you for like thinking of me and then a year later bob calls me again he goes hey i still have your resume we need a mechanic or no, 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 I'm sorry. So 2012, I'm working for the South of the Border team for on weird Hondas. I was like South of the Border, Jimmy Wannett Racing. Um, and I was working for a Taylor Free Trail. And at the end to middle of outdoors, um, 
Cooper's dad called the owner of South the Border, Ryan Schaefer. He goes, hey, we need a mechanic. Do you know of anyone? And Ryan was like, yes, I do. And then um, Ryan came over to me. He goes, hey, if you want a job, he's like, I got you a job with Cooper. He goes, well, why, why me? And he was like, because your rider, he was like, what sold me on you? He was like, he was like, when you said your rider is not performing how he should be like at the time, like I was pulling off quitting. Well, still doing all the, my bike work, like as if he was winning a championship, like framing it and all that stuff, like as a privateer doing that, like which is unheard of. Ryan was like, "Hey, when you said that your rider might not be doing his job, but I'm still gonna do mine," he was like, "That's when I knew you're ready for it." And I'm like, "You know what? If this job's coming back to me for the second time to work for Cooper, I'm like, I'm not turning it down. I'm gonna go make it happen." So that's what I did. <laughs> okay, so we kind of hopped. My bad, you know, to jump right to the Cooper thing, but. You do the Paul Theed school. You dropped out of MMI. Where is your first real in as being a full-time, you know, motocross mechanic? Uh, the first in, I would say, where I made decent money would be that South of the Border uh, Honda team. Uh, I think that was 2012, 2011, maybe. I can't remember. I would say that. Like, I got a phone call. Hey, like, can you come down? Like, we're a mechanic. We'll try you out. And this was around Thanksgiving had to be Thanksgiving of the 11. And so I drove down there and then I called, called home. I was like, Hey, I'm not coming home. I got a job. And then, um, yeah, that was it. I never left. Okay. So those like independent, real low, low budget teams. I mean, that's basically as being a college kid. That's like the college equivalent for a lot of people, I think, because you're roughing it real hard. There's not a lot of money, but you're learning a lot every day. Pretty much. Huh? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like pretty much. I mean, we got paid decent money, which I thought at the time, like, you know, it ain't enough to make a career out of it, but we got to live at South of the border for free. You know, the meals were cheap. They were all right on site. So we didn't have a lot of overhead expense. You're like on your campus pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, so yeah. Uh, what was that team like? Because, you know, that was a weird time in the industry, too. There was a lot of amateur talent that was graduating up to the pros. They didn't have a lot of places to go, but there were these really nice, those training camp teams were coming up about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, at the time, like, I think, like, maybe Baggett was one of the only few who got a ride, maybe. So, uh, Tyler Futrell was the guy that I worked for there. I mean, and, dude, honestly, that was maybe one of the funnest years I ever had, like, like at the time down the south of the border, it was like Taylor Futrell, Tyler Bright, um, Seth Rarick was down there. And like, dude, we all just became best friends. And we all, um, a couple of the other mechanics I'd already known from the past, and they were on the, they, they got put on the team also. So it was just like a whole bunch, a group of buddies just doing it together. And like me, it's funny, like me and Seth uh, joke about it. We're like, man, how fun was that back then? Like at the time, we don't, understand how fun it was you know because we're driving we're driving across country in a box van by ourselves like you know just as kids and then but looking back on it like man that was a, one of the funnest times of our lives okay so then with uh that's a cool connection I, I didn't realize that seth was down there at the same time so then you guys really are in sync in a lot of ways through these last few years mm-hmm. yeah 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 me and seth like we yeah we like he was down there trying to make it as a as a good amateur. Like he was, I think B class, maybe just turning A there, and he was down there training full time. 
And then um, he did that the outdoor season for the team in 2012, I think it was. I can't remember. This is 12 or 11. And then, um, yeah, like that's how like me and Seth are so tight because we all we all drove around. We're with, with each other all day, like driving around to race to race, like national to national in the box van, stopping to practice here and there, staying at friends' houses in Iowa. Like, like it was just it was just a good time back then. Like they just kids growing together and becoming best friends but still chasing their dreams <laughs> okay so then going into cooper um i mean that's that's a pretty high accolade for what your past boss had said you know you he saw you do the dedication knows that cooper's probably on the cusp of being you know one of the the future standout guys when he does go pro um, right and bob is a no nonsense guy like Bob will tell you how it is. And he was probably expecting a lot out of his kid. Red Bull was invested in Cooper. There was a lot of attention to him. So how does the expectation as a mechanic change? Do you notice a difference or is it still, Hey, I just got to do the same job just with some mini bike kid now. Um, it's, I mean, I would say it's always, it was, Hey, you still got to do the same job that you've been doing. Like you've, you've been doing a, a good job up to this point. So you got to keep doing a, a, a great job and even try to elevate yourself if you can, because, you know, in two, two and a half years, this kid's going to go pro and you don't want to be left behind and just being a practice spec guy. Like, like that was, I was like, you know what, um, you know, if I do a good enough job, I'll, I'll be able to go with him. And that was kind of part of the deal. Also, I was like, look, if I do this job, I, I was like, I feel like I'm right on the edge of being able to break through and go and get on the, get on a team myself. I was like, but obviously I want to be linked up with you because he is the next star. Obviously, like he was just getting on two VDFs, and kid had it. Like you could, everyone knew that knew it. It's just a matter of time until he broke out. And so we all talked like Bob. I think Ryan actually talked to Bob for me. And pretty much long story short, it was, he was like, look, Matt's not going to do it unless if he's for sure going to go to a team with you guys. So that was the time when Cooper didn't have a contract yet to go to a team, but you know, we we're doing some test rides with Geico, Chorley. We did a test ride with, um, at Brigade, we did a team, uh, ride with, and the whole time, like, they're like, look, if Cooper signs with you, his mechanic's coming. Like, he's going to have to – he's going to be in the contract with Cooper. So, when he turns pro, he's going with him. So, that was pretty cool that they – that they were going to do that for me also. Instead of just hanging – hey, instead of just hanging me out to dry, hey, like, we made it. Thanks. Like, you can stay and be a practice bike guy if you want. But they were going to take me to the top with him, which they did. So, that was that was really cool. Okay. Um, Cooper's, you know – last year as an, as an amateur and then you guys getting that initial star deal, what was that like? You know, especially as you have to figure out all of these different bikes, working within a team, yeah. their expectations instead of just working for the family. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Um, you know, I was at a, I got brought in at a time when they didn't have a deal. So we were able to go and do all these test rides and talk to these people. Um, yeah, because you know, I don't think a lot of people knew that Cooper was that sought after. Like, that storyline is always that just AC had him, you know, AC was so much further ahead of him and so much more renowned from the factories and that Cooper didn't really have anything. But then to hear that he had so many satellite teams after him is pretty interesting so far down the road now. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we – so, 
maybe a month before I got there, they went and did the Geico camp um, with the Geico guys up at Red Bud, how they used to do it every year at yeah. Rockers, I think, uh-huh. maybe. So they brought him up there, and pretty much long story short with that is they chose either Bell or Bichelia over Cooper, I think. And that, you know, that, that was a great decision for those guys. <laughs> and then, um, so when I got they, and then at that time they had already done a star test because Bobby, Bobby loved Cooper from the beginning. Like he, I just remember a story like Bobby's, he watched Cooper just the way he could corner at the red is like, and he always, always remembered that. So they had already done a star test, a star and a guy could test before I got there. And then the first week or two when I was there, we flew to California, did a test with Troy Lee. That was um, when Troy Lee Honda through Red Bull. Red Bull was going to try to place it in there. And then we had also did a test with Orange Brigade KTM. They were trying to get him because Roger really liked him. But the problem is, is that KTM didn't really have a – like a satellite team at the time, like they yeah. had J Star, but I think J Star had went away, maybe. Or yeah, was and J Star was never really to like that level. Like it was never to where like KTM was going to vest enough interest in it to like take over their future talent. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think um maybe so we went and rode the Orange Brigade bike, Orange Brigade bike, and then um had gotten back to Raj about you know like Cooper's really good, blah blah blah, and I think um. You know, Raja told Sleater that, hey, you need to sign this kid. And pretty much, long story short, is once um, Tim didn't sign him, Sleater didn't last there much longer. Okay, and then, so, um, you know, and that's interesting, too, that Rogers had so much attention on Cooper from the start, too, because I think a lot of people think it really only started Cooper's last year on the 250 and then when he went to Donations in Italy and stuff like that. But, I mean, that really shows how far it far back Rogers been paying attention to this. Yeah, and and then like we can even um, we can go a little bit farther later like when I when I went to KTM like that was what they that was the goal. When I had went there the goal in was 2015 was to get Cooper. They're yeah. like, "Hey, we're going to try to sign Cooper for you and then when we do, he's going to be yours." And I'm like, "All right, cool. You know, I'll have to suffer for 2 years doing whatever and then Hopefully we can get him, and then, but we can go down that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're sorry. Yeah, so Geico had chosen Bell or Bracelia or Cooper. Truly, they didn't have anything for him. That was just Red Bull just giving him a bike to ride. I think and, um, the Orange Brigade thing. There was no like path for a pro, <laughs> and so it's like two weeks before Minios, and we're sitting there like we're gonna go to Minios just on a. On a on a Honda, up stock Honda with JGR suspension and a stock engine that we, on a bike they had gotten from Triangle Cycles and then um, Star had signed Jeremy Martin at the time from Suzuki and then um, Bob Webb called Bobby Reagan back and said, "Hey Bob, like you know we don't really have anything. Do you guys still have that? Do you guys still have that? Um, I'll perform." And then Bob's like, "Well." Yeah, boy, we just signed uh, Jeremy, but I mean, maybe we might have something. <laughs> so, um, dude, the see, star deal. I can see this conversation happening too. Yeah, it's so funny because like we're all sitting in Cooper's living room, like like on a conference call, like Bob sitting on the couch, Trent, Coop, and me are just sitting there like, in the chairs and then listening to it all, which is cool to be involved in. Um, 
man, I think we got bikes. We got stock Yamahas like the week of Minios or the week before Minios. Like me and uh, Big Worm went and picked them up on his day off and brought them back to the surf shop and had all those guys. They sent me um, suspension and some parts, and we went racing the Minios with like two days on the bike. Like, it was crazy. This is uh, this is that timeline. Before the 250, like the YZ 250F gets completely outdated, it's still pretty good, but it's been losing out, mm-hmm. right? Like there was a lot of work that needed to be done with that bike, right? Yeah, the yeah the old carbureted Yamaha, like it was a it was really good bike, and Star had done a good job with it, like with all of their at the time they were doing a uh, Kazarov stuff, so they had they had um you know the bike was good. I mean, yeah, and and they had invested a lot in it. Yeah, they did. Like, that Kazarov stuff ain't cheap. That's F1 technology, you know? Like, that shit ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. And this and is then, the um, same stuff that Zach was over in Europe running. Uh, kind of, yeah. Kind of like the that same, like, was... same backing kind of people, same, same right. group. Right. Yeah, there was some stuff going on in Zach's transmission that was pretty badass, which you can't race over here. But, but um, yeah, and it's funny if you ask Zach about, the, about that Kazarov bike that he had over there. He was like, dude, still to this day, that 250F is the fastest 250F I've ever made. <laughs> wow. So, so, and then, yeah, so we, um, yeah, they sent us a box of parts for Minios, and we'd race stock, 250B stock and 250B mod, and went and won a couple championships with just a couple of days on the bike. <laughs> okay. And, um, and at the whole time, Cooper is still in school, which no one really realizes either. <laughs> yeah, because and that's an that's an important thing to always outline with Cooper is because Trent is a school teacher. She's not going to let right. him cut corners anywhere. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He he went to school until um, sophomore year, I think, like halfway through sophomore year, mm-hmm. and then and then um, once he got maybe done second semester. We packed up the van and me and him drove out to California and we spent the whole winter out there by ourselves. What's the Just, age what's the age difference between you two? Uh, I think Cooper's twenty six, I think. So six years, I think. Okay, so that's not bad. So that could be like that's that's pretty good, like big brother, little brother type situation. Exactly. And that's how it was. Like that was that's how me and him were. It was like big brother, little brother, like so that, I mean that was a cool concept. Like when we moved to California on our own, um, before outdoors, like me and him lived together. Like we did everything, everything together. Okay, so then uh, getting into the pro ranks of things with Cooper, how does that stuff go? And then what it eventually leads you guys to split up? Is that a team decision? Is that your decision? How does things? How does things go? Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, just to make it short, like I went, to, I went pro with Cooper when we raced outdoors in 2013. So I went to, you know, I went pro with him. Then we did a whole nother year of Supercross and outdoors, got podiums and Supercross. Maybe won a heat race, I think, and damn near won um, the final race in Vegas. I think he got second. And then um, outdoors, you know, him and Jeremy pretty much won two for the whole season. I mean, Cooper had a couple of bad races, but for the most part, he was good. I think he ended up second or third overall that year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And our team manager, Ryan Morris, at the time, he had went to he went to KTM at the end of 2014. Oh, I'm sorry. At the end of, 2000, end of 2013, he had went to KTM. And so we had Lampson in 14. 
And then um, Kelly had left KTM at the end of 14 to go to, to go with Kenny to Suzuki. And then with Mo being at KTM then, he was telling his guys, hey, call Matt. Like, see if he'll come. Like, because, you know, Mo worked with me. He knows how I am. And everyone's like, oh, he'll never leave Cooper. He'll never leave Cooper. Like, this is – that was Frankie and Carlos. Like, he'll never leave. So they called me, um, I think, the week before Salt Lake City. I went there, had a meeting, and then I told them, I was like, look, I'll do it. Like, let's go. So I was like, man, like, Rebel KTM is this 450 team. Like, they got Dunge, Kenny. Like, they're they just in the outdoor title. I'm like – Dude, if a factory team like this calls you, like, how could you not say no? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it was, you know, full benefits, everything. Like, I'm like, dude, like, this would be a no-brainer. And then that was at the time when they were like, look, we're going we're gonna to try to sign Cooper when he goes 450. His first year is like, that's who Raj wants. We're going to try to get him. And then so I was like, man, I know what's going to happen. If I leave, Cooper's going to go on a run and win some championships. I was like, I know this is going to happen. And then, um, yeah, sure. Shit. That's what happened. (laughs) Okay. Um, when you're working with Cooper and you see him coming up in those early years of his pro career, so you see the prospect, you see the potential that's there. Uh, Uh you're just knocking off the rough edges. What, what did you see being so close to him? Like what were moments that stood out or what were things that he did that you're just like, yeah, that kid's got it. Um, so the very first year when we did outdoors only, like that's when the class was stacked. Like it still had, I think, Marvin, Kenny, Eli, Osborne, Baggett, you know, those guys, like bad dudes. Like at Muddy Creek, or no, at Colorado, I'm sorry, second or third race of the year, he gets third first moto. And then we, and then crash second moto. But that was how the year was. Like we'd have one really good moto. And it's usually the first moto. And then second moto, he'd just be, you know, five, six, seven, eight, which that's what you got to expect for a rookie. Like the kid ain't going to go out there and go one, one as a rookie. Like it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. So um, getting the third in the motor there. And then he got third overall at the very last race in Elsinore that year. Like another year or two, this is going to go really good. And then, um, yeah, Supercross, he had podiumed a couple times. Um, we got a, a win at Muddy Creek in the second year of outdoors, you know, running second most of the year to Jeremy. Sometimes, you know, coming through the pack, getting up to second, passing Porcel, passing Baggett, like, dude, like, like, man, this kid's going to do it. Eventually, he's going to make it happen. And then, you know, KTM called. I'm like, well, this is when he's going to do it as soon as I leave. And then that's what happened. Okay, it's no secret that those uh, Jeremy Cooper years were a little tense under that semi. Um, mm-hmm. How was it for you as as a mechanic to navigate it? Because you know you have your guy that you're looking out for, and you spend so much time with him, and you know so much about him. But at the same time, there's these inner team dynamics got to happen. You know Jeremy's mechanic. You know how these things are going. What what was that like for you to balance that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't too bad. Like it. I feel like that was it more elevated both. Them. Yeah, it was more between them. And, like, it honestly, like, elevated both of those guys. Like, Cooper didn't want to lose to him, and Jeremy didn't want to lose to, to Cooper. But, I mean, and Bobby loved it. Like, Bobby loves that, that tension and just that grinding of gears. Like, that, like, Bobby gets a fire out of that. And then, you know, like, I mean, inner team stuff, like, it, Bobby doesn't let 
any of that shit happened between mechanics or whatever. He goes, look, you guys need to, everyone needs to get along and blah, blah, blah. I mean, and so everyone was fine. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I'd do whatever, whatever I had to do for Cooper. Cause Cooper is my guy. He's like a brother. And I'm like, dude, like whatever you need, like, I don't care what, like if I got to be shady for you, like I'll be shady for you. Like, I don't care. Like, let's do this damn thing together. So. Okay. Working on, uh, working on a bike when you're in that championship, those race win scenarios, all those kinds of things, the pressure does build up a little bit. You know, you really are under the microscope. There can't be any failures. There can't be any parts falling off. You know, if a side plate gets loose and it dangles off, you feel like an idiot. Um, Yeah. So what, how did that feel when you started to notice, Hey, there's, there's different expectations now. Like my shit's really got to stay together. Yeah. I mean, just when you, I mean, it's just kind of, that's the goal just from day one. I was like, look, you there, there, you can't have any failures or stupid stuff. Like you got to make sure your shit's on point at all times. Like, and that's how, that's how I was taught from day one from Shane. Like, like everything, like you have to make sure no matter what, like you can't be lazy and slacking off. Like, because at the end of the day, you got someone's life in your hands. Like, totally. Like, like I mean, one mistake by you and that kid could be dead, you know, worst case scenario. Like that's what's going to happen. Like, like you have someone's life in your hands riding your product. Like, so, you know, you and there's, there's no time to slack off. I, and this is a thing that, you know, we hear stories about mechanics all the time. You know, it, it's just like anything. There's guys that take it to like the nth degree and they're super particular about everything and they know the spec on everything. And there's certain guys that, you know, are on a loose program to say, yeah. but yeah, for sure. to that same thing, you know, it is a lot of responsibility. If something does go wrong, if, if you're building engines and the thing doesn't work right, if you have a shock bolt go loose and it runs through the frame, there's so many things that could go wrong. And yeah, I mean, that is a high expectation. So good of you to realize that at such a young age. Yeah. And like, that's like, like, yeah, like some guys, like they do run loose programs and whatnot, but, um, like I couldn't live with myself if just say, I don't know, a shock bolt falls out and your guy enters off a jump and that's it. Like, how are you going to live with, your, live with yourself knowing, oh, I left this loose and I just killed my guy? Like, you know, like how, how are you going to live like that? So I was one. I was like, look, I can't want to watch my guy get hurt because of something I did. And I, I don't want to just watch him get hurt over something stupid, just me being lazy. So, like, you got to keep your stuff on point at all times, like no matter what. Okay. Living in and California. Like some guys, it, and like some guys, it doesn't affect them. Some guys don't care. But I'm like, yeah, how do you live life like this? Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Uh, living in California, you know, being a complete transplant from the complete other side of the country. Um, uh-huh. What was it like then? Were you just by yourself? Did you have roommates? Were you living with guys that were on the team? Because that always plays a big part in those early years of cutting your teeth in the pro scene. No, yeah. that um, Yeah, that was really tough. Like, because, you know, like, I don't, I don't have, I didn't have any family out there or anything like that. So yeah, it's tough. So when, when I moved out there, like me and Cooper moved out there together. So it was just me and him. Like I had him to rely on. He had me to rely on. Like we got an apartment together. We lived together. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he's my, he's my best friend at the time. And then, you know, we did everything together. Like, so that was like him was, he was like the, really the only like family that was out there. Like, and that was it. And then it was just trying to survive. That Like, dude, that is such an interesting thing because we hear about some of that stuff that happens and that speaks a lot about the, uh, 
trust that Trent and Bob had in you too. Like, hey, take our kid and just go out there and keep him on the straight and narrow. Don't let him get fucked up. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it was. Like, I was Cooper's legal guardian, so I was Holy I was able to sign for him when we go to these races. Like, like when we were amateurs, I'd have to go up there and sign for him to get his cash. Like, he couldn't do it. You know, he didn't know his social security number. I knew it. Like, like I knew all that stuff. Like, I had to, that was part of the part of it. Did you know that was part of it, or was that something that one day you're like, like, did one of your earlier guys show you that, or was Cooper the first example? Yeah, Cooper was a. I mean, Cooper was the first example just because he was so young and like, like Cooper. I mean, you got to be 18 to sign up for a, for a professional racer. I think maybe like without a. A without guardian, a yeah. parent, parent consent sign or something like that. So I was Cooper's legal guardian doing all that for him. Like it was like raising this kid, like, you know, Bob and Trent, they still worked full time. So their rest was, it was on me to run this, run the ship, you know, it was, it was cool. Were you guys traveling to the races together at the same time? Like, or were you flying out days ahead and then coming back after him? When we were amateur or when, when we were, were pro? When you were pro. Um, when we were pro, uh, I was flying out a day before and then a day later. And then he would just drive to the airport on his own. And then him and I think maybe him and Bob would always, Bob would try to fly in around the same time as him and, or Swanee would go with him or he would go with Mo. Like he kind of always relied on like somebody else. Yeah. You're right. Someone else like an older person because I think Cooper was 16 or 17. Like he couldn't go get a rental car. Like, you know, he can make his way through an airport and whatnot and drive there, but the kid can't go get a rental car on his own and, mm-hmm. hey, go drive three hours to Unadilla from the airport. Like, <laughs> he can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how um, you expect a kid to do it, you know? What did you guys think of California? Because it was so different than where you were from. Yeah, I mean, it is It is what it is. Like, we had no choice but to go out there, so we had to make it work, like, neither of us liked California. Like we both wanted to go back East, like, but we knew this was what we had to sacrifice in order to make it. Like Cooper had to be out here to be around the team, to ride, do motos with all the fast guys, go to the, the trainer's gym. And I had to be out here to work at the race shop with the team. Like you couldn't be flying in and out of the East coast. Just yeah. because you're, you're right. Just because you're Cooper Webb's mechanic. Like it's not how it works anymore. Like, I'm painted by star now, not Cooper. Like, so it was very, it's a very thin line to walk when you're getting paid by the team now, but you're still working for like your brother, you know, like mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like you, you gotta be really, really careful. I should say. Okay. To, um, to de- make the decision to go to KTM and have Mo vouching for you and all of those things. Uh-huh. Um, What's it like to tell Cooper, like, hey, dude, I, I got to go do this? Was he understanding? Um, did he did he see the opportunities that you guys had ahead? And then how did it feel when you watched him and, you know, run, go on this run with another mechanic? Yeah, I mean, it was really tough to tell him. I mean, you know, we're, it was like, it was like you know, brothers just splitting up. Like, I, t- I mean, he, he understood. And then I told him, I was like, look, I'll see you in two years. Like, that's why I'm going is to help you get here, get there. I should say, I was like, I'll see, I'll see you soon. And then, um, it wasn't, it wasn't good for, you know, a little while, like between us, like, I mean, it feels like I abandoned him and, you know, I, 
I did. Like I left. Like that's you know, like we did this whole thing together, then I just bounced after a year and a half, two years of doing this because you get a phone call from what you think is the best team, like like you're supposed to be loyal to me. Like I mean you know, I can see how it see I can I see both sides of it. Totally. I and can especially see how it yeah. Yeah, and especially with how young he is too. Exactly. Time, like, yeah. Right. We were and like we were still living together in the apartment. It was just me and him, and I'm leaving. Like, and he was like, and like we we're gonna get a house together, like just rent a house, so like that way we can have more space and and whatnot. And he was like, he's like, I don't think we, you know, it's not a good idea to get a house together anymore, and blah blah blah. So now Cooper's on his own. Like, I think maybe Trent came out with him every once in a while when she could, and and Bob. But I mean. Yeah, it was like it's like I I abandoned the kid, which I mean, looking back on it, I did. I mean, <laughs> and then to watch him to go there and watch him win all the, all those championships, man, that was so hard. When he like, went with Eric, like when he gets paired with him, do you talk to Eric and tell him like, hey, this is how he operates. This is what you need to do. These are the expectations. Or is that something that you have to let the other guy figure out for himself? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of. Let him figure it out you for don't himself. Because you don't want to sabotage Cooper. Like, you have Cooper's best interest at heart, but at the same time, too, it's kind of hard to tell somebody, like, hey, take care of my boy this way. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I knew he was in good hands with Eric. Like, I'd known Eric from just going to the races. Like, Eric was kind of on the same path as I was. Like, he was driving around in the solitary rig with the truck driver, helping out Ryan Clark and whoever those guys were. So it was kind of like a similar path. And then he was on Star, and I think maybe he worked for Swanee for a year. And then um, once I left, they were like, oh, man, like, who do we get for Cooper? And then Swanee's like, hey, call Eric. Like, Eric had gone to Troy Lee. You know, funny, he left Star, went to Troy Lee, came back to Star. And then um, Eric went and worked for Cooper, won all those championships, and then bounced. (laughs) It's funny how, you know, there are some people that, especially at this time, Star had that reputation of, like, this just grind out factory where Bobby didn't have a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, he didn't have a lot of slack for guys that were underperforming, but then to see no. guys leave in the, in the technical side from mechanics to just team members and all that, those guys would leave. They would do a couple years somewhere else. They do funnel back. You're one of them too. That did come back. Mm-hmm. Yep. What is it about that program that makes you want to come back? Um, I don't want to, <laughs> there's a lot I could say. I mean, you want to come back because they have good riders and you can win. That's why. Like, there's nothing about the team that draws you back. You know, the, everyone knows the pay's not great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that aren't great, but you're going to have a good rider and you can make good bonus money. That's what draws you back is the opportunity to win and op- opportunity to win championships. That's yeah. it. <laughs> and that speaks to the same level as the rider, that competitive thing. You don't get into this job just to be like, yeah, I'm going to have fun spinning wrenches. A lot of you guys come into it with just as much of a want-to-win mindset. Right, exactly. There's and some like, guys that don't have the same thing, and they just think it's fun, but there's other guys that are like, no, get the fuck out of the way. I'm here to win. Exactly, and that was the whole – that was even how I was brought up. Like, like that's kind of – I would say that's how Shane brought me up. He was like, dude, you're not here to have fun. He goes, you're here to do a fucking job win races and make good money. He's like, he's like, that's the goal. He's like, you want to do this for a hobby, go work for bar X Suzuki, you know, just be in it. You know, if you just want to be in it, be in it. But I want to win and I want to make money. That's it. Like, I'm not here just to hang out and be a bro, you know, like that's not what I'm here for. 
So winning in money, like that's what brought me back. That's what brought me back when it was time to come with Shane. So. All right. So, um, what's it like to transition to Red Bull KTM? Uh, you know, under Roger at the time when the team is just building, building, building every year, and they are, you know, quickly becoming what they are right now. Yeah, I mean, the, dude, the transition was really hard. Like, not gonna lie. Like, at Star, you build your bikes from out of a stock motorcycle. The first week I was at KTM, they're like, "Hey, you gotta build, um, build Dean a race bike for Straight Rhythm and Monster Cup." I was like, "Okay, no problem. Like, I should be able to figure it out." And they're like, "I was like, well, where's the bike?" They're like, "We don't have one." You're like, you have to go in the parts room and build it from parts. I'm like, oh, "What?" <laughs> I don't really know anything about this bike, and now you want me to go pick all the parts for him? Like, like, I don't know where to start. But I mean, thankfully. Um, I went there during the week that there everyone was at this nations except for Frankie and a couple other guys. So Frankie wasn't really doing much and he helped me and showed me so much. And the whole time I was there, every day I was learning something from him, good or bad, like, you know, and then, um, and then, yeah, it's just you know, building bikes a whole different way. There's a guide on how you, how they want things done. They want things done a certain way. And that's it. Like there is no cutting corners, doing things your way, unless you run it by someone. Like it's not a loose program. It's to the T, and this is the this is how you do it. So, it, was, it was really cool to learn a different side of it. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn from building it? You know, like you said, from the part sheet, and then having to go through and pull drawers and pull bins and a frame, yeah. foot pegs, foot peg springs. <laughs> Everything, yeah. bushings, bearings. I mean, how many hours does that take? Uh, yeah, when you're building a whole bike, it takes you half the day just to go pull the, all the parts for it. And then, and is, then it fun? Fit. is it fun, though? Is it like going Honestly, to the candy store? looking back on it, I would love to do it that way every time. Because, you know, everything's brand new when you get it. Like, And then you see it brand Like, you see everything yeah. that goes on, you, on that like bike. Like, you open the bearing out of the, out of the poly bag. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Or you're pressing the bearings into the linkage. You're pressing the clamps together. Like, then that was all new. Like, at Star, like, all that stuff was built. So there's a lot of things that, honestly, I didn't know how to do yet. And luckily, that time at KTM, Frankie and everyone, they taught me everything, which was awesome. So that would, I mean, man, if I could go back and do it, that's how I would want to learn from day one being on a team is just building everything yourself. Like, that was so sick. Okay. Uh, and, then, and, then at the, and then, like, when you're done with it, like, when, when your bike's timed out, like, you don't have to turn around and turn it into a sail bike. Like, you take the tie out of it, and then you throw the bike away. Like, like you destroy the parts and just get rid of them. Like, you don't have to work on this junker and then turn it back and make it look good for a sail bike and hope that somebody buys it. Like, that's what, that's another thing that I don't miss is having to build sail bikes. <laughs> Did it okay? Did it trip you out pushing the button on the crusher then, and just watching like hundreds of thousands of dollars just get smashed up or cut up, cutting up frames, you know, destroying titanium, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, that's I mean, a it's trip. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy doing that the first time because you're like, man, like the team I just came from, we would run parts, God knows how long, how who knows how many hours are on this tie set, but at KTM we knew how many hours were on everything, and then. Yeah, just to throw everything away. I'm like, man, we're just throwing away all these good parts for nothing. Like, why? And like, that's how we do it. Like, we know the lifespan of stuff. Like, there's no point of pushing things and having failures and getting people hurt. Like, it's just, 
this is how we do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, getting paired with Dean, um, how was that? Because this is Dean, you know, at a very good point in his career, a lot of potential coming into the 450 class. He's, you know, potentially going to be one of the guys, but then, as we know, injuries strike, and he doesn't fulfill what uh, KTM expected of him. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with Dean, I mean, it was fun. Like, he was, you know, nice guy, nice parents. His whole program was good that he was running. I mean, and then he just, you know, he just had bad luck for two years. That's that's all there is. Like, we'd go and do maybe two or three Supercross races at the beginning of the season in 15 and 16, and then, boom, tears ACO both years. And then you come back around halfway through outdoors and hope to jump into the pack and try to run up front if you can. And then, but, yeah, it's just, it was tough. And then at that, you know, at the same time, like, you know, your guy gets hurt, and then here I am still going to all these races and then I'm watching Cooper doing what he's doing. Like, man, that was so hard. Like your guys are already out for the season and then Cooper's winning five, six, seven races, bam, championship, bam, another championship, outdoor championship. You're like, yeah, I just made the worst decision of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Dean, you know, when you see those things happen and you're, you're with him when these big injuries strike, when you get, when he gets hurt, you know, like, fuck I'm parts guy for the year now um yeah and, and yeah, yeah. that's no disrespect to Dean because you know everybody loves Dean everybody knows how nice Dean is and and the bad streak that's hit him so many times but uh there's no question that he puts in the work and then he tries his ass off but for you it's just these circumstances that are completely out of your guys control he dabs his knee in a rut and it's over yeah exactly like I mean you can't control that stuff like you know that's how I was controlling me like when he crashed I mean when he tore his ACL like one one of the years, I think it was maybe he just dabbed it or something and, and tore it again the second year. I think that's what it was. And the first year, it happened at the test track. Like, I think he just crashed and then landed and ejected midair and then landed on it and blew his knee out. Like, and it was just things you can't control. And then, and then, yeah, I still had to go to all the races and help. But it was pretty cool because I was able to do now a lot of, like, testing and development, which I was able to learn a whole different side of things. I was able to learn, hey, why does this part do this? What what does this pull rod do for the ratio? Like, dude, I learned. Honestly, I, looking back on it, it wasn't a good time because you're watching Cooper doing what he does. And you're like, fuck, this is the worst decision I've ever made. But at the same time, I was learning so much more by doing testing and doing R&D with Mo. Like, you know, like during Supercross, we'd go out there and start outdoor testing, like, while those guys are still riding supercross and being able to work more with Jim and Marky at WP learning why this does this, this does this, like being able to see some of the pretty cool things that are getting developed for, you know, two or three years down the road. That was really cool. (laughs) Okay. Working with Mo. um, I mean, this is after Ryan's crash with Trey and and Mm in Los Angeles, things like that. He's on the mend. Um, but he's back in that, or he's now in that KTM testing role, which he was great at. Um, right. He's really detail-oriented. He's able to relay a lot of the information that he feels or what the bike's doing to you guys. So like you said, to learn all of that from him, um, plus the knowledge that you had gained you know, from suspension schools, working mm-hmm. firsthand, what's it like to have a guy finally just relay all of that to you and see like, okay, this is, this is it now. I see the full package of the bike. Yeah, like it, it's pretty unbelievable because I feel like there's a lot of 
Like, I don't, like, I don't want to, like, I'm like, not trying not to knock on riders, but there's some guys that they just, they don't know what the bike's doing. They're just really <laughs> fortunate to right. be able to go fast. Yeah. Right. And like, not, not a knock on riders, like, but, um, like not to knock on other mechanics. Like there's some guys that don't know anything, like they just build the bike, you know, like, but being able to learn all that from Mo and Raj and all those guys developing packages, developing different stuff. I got such a good understanding of how everything works, like how, how the forks are working, how chassis stuff works. Like, 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 dude, I learned everything. Like, and that's what I felt like made this year of Colt so good is because I, I had learned so much stuff in the past, just about like balance and changing this, changing that, what it affects, what it doesn't affect, how you fix it. Like, that's what a lot of people don't know how to do that. And they even like Frankie, dude, Frankie is, he was so smart about that. And that's what Frankie taught me a lot just from working with um, Marvin. Like, cause I, I kind of levitated more towards Frankie and Marv a little bit, just cause they're more open. Like Dunge is winning all these championships and yeah. And he's focused you know, on like, the goal. Yeah. Right. And like, you don't want to go and fuck with them. Like, you know, like that's KTM's guy, Marv. Like, he, I'm Marv. I'm sorry, Dunge. Yeah. Like, like now is not the time to learn from Dunge and Carlos. You know, like, like Frankie. He was like, dude, come over here. He's like, you want to build my bike? Come build it. Like, come help me. And I was like, all right, let's go. And so that, so I started levitating more towards Marvin and Frankie, and watching Frankie, listening that how Frankie talks to Marv, like what they're, what they're looking for in the bike, like what the bike's doing, and then Frankie, and then listening to how Frankie. It's suggesting to fix it. Like Frankie, what he kind of just drilled into my head. He's like, look, if Marvin has balance, he's going to be fine. He's like, so he just kept drilling balance, balance, balance into my head. And how do you fix it? Like if your front end's like this, you do this. Or if your front end or, you know, if your rear is like this, do this. Like, dude, like just learning that was such a big help for the next couple of years with Shane and then with Colt. Have you heard that Yoshimura is now making bicycle components? That's right. Their first product to market, the Chileo Pedal, was over two years in development, and now they're ready for your mountain bike or BMX bike. Made in the USA and available in two sizes, you have to see these masterpieces of machining to appreciate them. They're most likely the last pedals you'll ever need for your bicycle. Now shipping worldwide. Check them out at YoshimuraCycling.com. Hi, Swap Moto Live listeners. This is Alex Martin. At Arai, every helmet is handcrafted with dedication to pursue gains and protection, and that is exactly why I choose to race in an Arai helmet. This lifeblood of obsession with protection is driven by a single shareholder and runs through every person who builds an Arai helmet. This is what sets Arai apart. This is Arai. Since 2005, Risk Racing has been a leading innovator within the motocross industry, all while doing it in their own unique way. Whether you are looking for the premier motocross transport system, the Lock and Load Pro, or the EZ Utility Jug, the fuel can of choice, for me, SGB Racing's Alex Ray, Risk Racing is there to be your go-to motocross shopping destination. Head over to riskracing.com today and see their entire product line. Use code SWAP at checkout to receive 15% off the entire purchase. Hey everyone, Don Moyetta here. Over the past 20 years, I've built a ton of cool motocross project bikes. When it comes to choosing a great wheel set, 
My first call is always to the crew at WUSA. Importers and distributors of Talon, Kite, Han, and Edge hubs, the wheel building team at W is unrivaled when it comes to lacing them up to DID or Excel rims. Let's be honest now. Next cleaning air filters or changing oil. Tightening spokes is one of the most tedious jobs when it comes to working on your bike. When it comes to wheel sets from W though, you know that they'll stay straight and true and the spokes will almost always stay tight. There's a reason that factory teams and top riders everywhere rely on W. When it comes to anything wheel related, your one-stop shop is WUSA.com. Check them out. Hey, this is Colt Nichols of the Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha team, and I rely on Guiltless Food Co. to keep me fueled properly, feeling 100%, and is super convenient. It's healthy food that doesn't suck. Sign up at guiltlessfoodco.com. Out here, on the edge, failure is no option. Here, you don't compromise. Off-road, on-road, on the track, off the grid. Sunstar sprockets and brake discs come installed in more motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles than any other in the world. Period. The engineers who design your bike trust and spec Sunstar for the same reason you should. Because here, on the edge, failure is no option. Sunstar, number one in sprockets and brake discs. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Live podcast for additional discounts in the shop. Hey guys, it's Ryan Villapoto. Now that I'm living the retired life and not bound to factory team sponsors, I'm able to choose my partners when it comes to building my bikes. I choose Backyard Designs to create my motorcycle graphics because they do a great job. Their kits look great, go on easy, and last long. Backyard Design has the most comprehensive and user-friendly graphic website in the sport. Use the discount code SWATMOTO at checkout for a discount at BackyardDesignsUSA.com. Since 1991, ProTaper has led the way in premium control components and prides themselves on providing an exciting, innovative, and complete product line to fulfill the needs of professional racers and weekend riders alike. Through revolutionary ideas like the oversized 1 and 1 8 inch handlebar and the micro handlebar kit, the only control system purpose-built for youth riders, ProTaper continues to push the limits and transform how we experience riding our motorcycles. Visit ProTaper.com for more. Okay, to go way, way back to, like, even when you're in school, were you one of those guys that was real, like, math and, like, angles-minded? Like, did you understand that side of things, the engineering side? Or is that uh, something that you learned on, like, because of the trade? Um, I would say more like I learned it. Like, I'm pretty good with numbers and stuff like that. And, like, I can see stuff, but I have to, like, physically do it. You know, like, I'm more of a, obviously, like, a hands-on type of person. Right. And then, um... But that's what was cool is like while I'm doing the testing at KTM, like Marky and Jim, they're showing me these ratio charts of pool rods and like leverage curves and then um, different program systems where you can put in like wheelbase lengths and swing arm pivot to rear wheel, swing arm pivot to front wheel, then your overall lengths, fork height, like chassis heights, like there's there is so much to learn and I'm thankful that I was able to pick up on that and learn it like like the first time that you know that gets thrown out at you you see it but it goes in and it goes out really quickly like you don't retain it 
And the more that I would do it, I'm like, okay, this, this does this, like, because of these numbers. And then this is our range of where we want to keep this thing in. Like, so just doing it more repetition and stuff like that is what I felt like made me pretty, pretty good at it. Okay. Okay. Um, was it a trip to see the access that KTM had, the parts that they had? You know, we hear these stories about how if Roger or Ian or one of you guys find something that they'll have Austria make a part and that's on the bike within the week. Yeah, the, dude, seeing that access is unbelievable. And that's why they stay at the top. Like they don't have to go through all these channels and relay stuff back to Japan. And then hopefully it gets in the right hands at Japan and, and even like the language barrier, you know, you got all these Americans speaking Japanese, like that ain't going to go over too well. Like, but the fact that Raj can literally call up Austria and say, Hey, we had this failure, blah, blah, blah. This is how we need to fix it. And it'll be on the bike. Like I remember one year, I think it was at, um, Anaheim, one of the Anaheims, I think Dunge had crashed in the heat race. And at the times, I think the, the throttle housing might've been plastic or like a real, um, thin aluminum. And I think Dunge got landed on or crashed and bent it. So the throttle, the throttle was barely working. And then the very next week by Wednesday, we had one billet throttle housing and that was on Dunge's practice bike. We'd take it off and it would go onto his race bike. Like, it's just unbelievable the turnaround and what those guys are capable of making and doing there. like that. And that's why they're still the best team to this day. Like, because they're, they have that kind of access. Like it's unreal. Like I feel like JGR could have been like that. Like, dude, you have access to all these NASCAR stuff, NASCAR tooling in the, in the cup shop. But you know, like that stuff doesn't equal performance. Like you still have to have the right people in line to manage everything. And, that's what KTM has. They have such a good people in line and mat people managing everything to make sure that shit doesn't go off in the left field. <laughs> okay. I have another thing about this KTM, like being in the inner workings, but because you mentioned JGR, I do have a question for you about that. You're an East yep. coast guy. You're a big NASCAR fan. Like I know that. Was yep. there ever a chance that you thought, Hey, I'm going to go to JGR, especially when Cooper was, you know, their amateur guy there for a while and uh-huh. then was there ever a chance that, that you could have made that work out or was that never really an option? Um, I had always tried. JGR was always the first team that I wanted to go to. I mean, obviously as a kid, I wanted to go to pro circuit. But once I learned more and got more in depth with industry, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go to pro circuit. Like, sorry, like nothing against you guys, but I want to have a life and I don't want to be. I mean, yeah. And and for people that don't understand, like, it's just like anything. Once you know, and you have friends that are at these other jobs, you, you guys talk about what's going on and you know, the expectations of like, well, fuck, he's splitting cases and building engines from the ground up. Plus being practice bike mechanic, like each team has its own expectations of what the jobs are. And from anybody looking from the outside in, you're kind of picking and choosing what one works best with your lifestyle Mm -hmm. and what you want and what you expect. Right, exactly. And then, um, you know, just being from the East Coast, like, and then Cooper riding for JGR, I'm like, man, like, maybe one day we can end up there. And then um, JGR, I think, had tried to put together a lights program for Cooper, and it just never developed. And then um, and I had tried for years to get in at JGR, but they always had their people, man, and those people stayed there. Like, they didn't leave. When you're in at JGR, you didn't leave until that team shut down. And 
I think that says a lot about, I don't know if it was the pay or benefits, like whatever they were doing there, they did it good because no one left. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I know a lot of the guys that were on that team and same thing, like they were East coast dudes. It was a very fortunate position because you're part of the major NASCAR operation and they know how important it is to keep people happy. And then Joe's, right. you know, NFL background from seeing it from an even bigger standpoint, like there's mm-hmm. a reason that it worked and, it wasn't a lack of uh, personnel at JDR. No, it was, yeah. It exactly, was completely financial, exactly. you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. for KTM, to jump back to that, when you guys are working on these factory edition bikes, because we know that there's one in the pipeline right now that's going to come out, I think, this mm-hmm. week, um, what's it like to see that thing kind of coming about and then to break down the specs of, like, this is what they're searching for as the mechanic? How, how is that process to test a new bike completely in top secret? Uh, it, it's really cool because man, you gotta be on your P's and Q's and make sure that, that thing doesn't get seen. Even when it's at the shop, like you can't, you can't trust anyone walking We're around. we finding like, that out right now. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you can't trust a sales guy or a practice mechanic to come back there and, oh man, there's no one in the shop right now. And that bike's sitting there uncovered. Like, let me take a photo of it. Like, like, you, and then to develop it, usually that that bike always showed up and it was already a bike because Mo and all those guys over in Austria had already developed it to a point where they thought it was good. And then when it came over here, we, um, we would fine tune it. Like, you know, we'd be riding it on supercross, like during outdoor season, like getting it, getting it built up and ready and then just getting feedback. Oh, Hey, like it's not as good as the new, as the old bike here or it's better than the new, better than the old bike here. And when we always kept the old bike to go back and forth on every day. So we were able, we were able to do all the testing on the new bike. And then at the end of the day, go back to the old bike and be like, ah, yeah, we did make some gains or this is still a little bit better than that on the old bike here. So we need to try to figure out how to improve it. And then you talk the rides would, he's got so many ideas and concepts in his head. And then, boom, he produces something. You're like, how the hell did you come up with this? And then it would work or it wouldn't work or it's just a really cool time to do that. And then, and then that whole time that you're riding that new bike, you're seeing, Oh, Hey, this fails. Like this part failed at this amount of hours. Why, why did it do that? And then, you know, you get the next version, version two of it and it might last 10 more hours. Like seeing all that stuff is so, so cool. Okay. Um, were you there when the air shock, like, are you there for the first iterations of that? Like after shorty runs it and then it's on dungeon's bike and then it has the leak. Like, are you there for all of that? I was not there for the leak. That was still on that old generation KTM. Okay. I, I, I came, um, right after outdoors in 14 when Kenny won that, I think it was Kenny won the outdoor title on that bike. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but the whole time, like, we're still going back to the air shock, like, testing it every once in a while. Um, you know, Mo was testing it, and then the WP guys would come back over for a week or two. Like, we'd spend they'd spend time over here, they'd spend time over here testing it, trying to make this, trying to make it better, and stuff like that. So there was a lot of cool development stuff that we were able to do, and it just never got brought back into racing again. Like, we could just never get it good enough. Or for the guy to have enough trust in it, I should say. Okay. Um, what leads you to, okay, we know you do your two years with Dean. Uh, things go the way they go. Uh, it's time for Cooper to 
come to KTM the way that they thought he was going to. I think I even remember coming down like innovation there in Marietta one time, seeing him coming out of the race shop. Like I swear <laughs> to God, it was him. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, and we know he didn't go. So then what, what does your career look like after the pairing that you would look forward to for two years? Doesn't line up. Oh dude, it was miserable. It sucked. Like, but what was cool is the whole, the whole first and second year that I'm there. Like I feel, I felt like I was a college recruiter trying to recruit him like i talked to raj like hey because i'm still tight i was still tight with cooper so yeah, I would, things are good now after like everything's mended up after you guys had split you're exactly good. Like, yeah. right things got mended up we'd go hang out together like like things were good finally and so i knew i was he would tell me what's going on with these contracts hey i'm getting this offer from this team this 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 and then i'm and then i'd go back to work on monday like look raj like Coop's got this going on. We got to get him down here. Like, and he's like, I think Cooper came down to KTM like two or three times. Me and Frankie would go to breakfast with him. Like, I'd hang out with him and just try. Like, I I was a college recruiter. I felt like you know, trying to recruit him, and uh, they just didn't act fast enough. And then because at the time they still had Dunge and Marv, and you know, Dunge I think resigned, and but dude, they were trying to put together a a badass team with Dunge, Marv, and Coop. And they just, they drug their feet. Like, just to put it another way, is KTM drug their feet the first year on signing it. Okay. Um, for you to then see him go to Yamaha, does that make you think that you have to make changes? Or, or what leads you to leave Red Bull KTM to go to TLD KTM? Um, yeah, like, seeing him to go to Yamaha was another tough one because I'm like, man, like, Yamaha came back and built this 480 team for Cooper, like yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Like they had Chad develop that bike for a year, and then the goal was to get him again. Like, and I'm like, well, I could have went there with him, with him for sure. And then, um, so yeah, before I went to Troy Lee, I was doing, um, um, still doing testing and actually helping develop that um, that new KTM Super Mini that they had. Oh, so oh, okay. I was kind of okay. working, working more in the engine department and factory service, factory services, developing this super mini because they were going to run a program with Volan and it was just going to be like, dude, this factory super mini kid, like I was going to go to the races with them, um, build all the bikes, build the engines, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, dude, like, I'm like, I'm going backwards. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, <laughs> like this isn't what I want to do. Like, I don't want to work for a super mini kid. Like, if I want to go work for a super mini kid, I'll go work for Jet Reynolds. Like, that kid's got to win. Like, not no disrespect, but. Yeah, you yeah. just, if you were going to go, you wanted to be with the guy. Yeah. Exactly, right. And then, um, and then, so it was kind of funny. Um, Tyler Keith called me and he goes, hey, I got an idea for you. And he goes, why don't you come work? come over here and work for Shane. He's like, I need a mechanic for Shane. I need someone that will push him because Shane needs someone that's got to be tough on him. That's got to hold him accountable. And that's got to push him like, like you will. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And then, so Ian, Ian was like, or I'm sorry, Tyler was like, let me talk to Ian and Raj. And dude, for the first year and a half, I think it was, I was doing a key team employee. I just worked at Troy Lee. Like, Oh, okay. Like, you just got like they just, reassigned. Yeah, they they were like, "Look, you can either stay here and um, 
you know, and run this super mini program. Like we'll set up this bro, we'll set up this bonus program for you. If you're, if you guys go win this amount of races, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, the bonus thing, like it's awesome. Like I appreciate that, but it's, it doesn't equal out to what you can win if you win professional supercross races and a championship, you know, and that was the goal. And then they were like, well, you, or you can go and, you know, Charlie needs a guy and you can go over there and work for Shane and we'll keep paying you. You won't lose your benefits. You're, you'll still collect your, you still will collect your team bonus bonuses that we were getting at KTM. I'm like, like, how do you guys think this is okay for me to go over there and still collect all this stuff? Like, that's a no brainer. Like I'm going there. So that, that, dude, that blew me away how I was able to do that for as long as I did. (laughs) Okay. Uh, this is, you know, TLD, going through their metaphor, their, you know, changeovers too, to see where they are now. This is early in their bringing into the KTM group. Um, yeah, I think it's the second year of the KTM yeah, group, being, I think. Yeah, and, you know, and, and there, that's a big change because that went from being Troy's, you know, pet project of him racing Supermoto to now this is a, <laughs> you know, it had always been a business, but now this has really got some influence and some expectations to it now too. Um, right. TK is his own his own team manager style too. You know, he's pretty intense, uh-huh. but super nice guy. If you're on his good side, he really does look after his guys. Um, right. Exactly. How is it to go there? Um, you know, and, and go through what you go through with Shane. Uh, it was, it was awesome. Like I, I, um, yeah, I was able to go there with Shane. Like dude, the first race we went and did, we went to straight rhythm, one straight rhythm. I'm like, man, this could be awesome. Like, and then, like, you see it during the week, like, with Shane, like, man, the dude is unbelievable. Like, man, if I can just – if we can get him to stay healthy and get him to the races, like, we might be able to do this thing. And, and I mean, dude, it was unreal. Like, Shane is such a good dude. And I had, like, going – leading into 2018, I had a lot of things going on in my life off the track. And then we go to – that weren't <laughs> – that weren't good. And – um we go to Anaheim one, 2018 and he wins. And I'm like, wow. Like I just won my first supercross race in my first year here with Shane. Like and it was like, it was so weird. It was like a, a big weight off my shoulders. Like with everything I was dealing with off the track and go to a one and we win. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. And then, um, I think we won. A race or two in Supercross and a bunch of podiums and like we're fighting for the championship the whole time, so that was that was awesome. And then the same thing in um in 2019 we're you know fighting for a championship. And then he gets hurt and then we uh, we ended up back at Star. Okay, uh, winning Anaheim one is a big accomplishment. I mean that's the race that everybody dreams of winning. Hell, I've <laughs> fucked playing around in my front yard as a little kid. I dreamed about winning that race and I knew yeah. I was never gonna do it. Uh, but to do it for Troy is a whole other thing because Troy really loves Anaheim one. So what is the, and it's always around his birthday. There's always, there's a million people around. There's all these LA people, all these artist types, all his, you know, Hollywood connections. Uh So what is that like to win that race? Oh, dude, it's like a, it's just like a big party after the race. Like everyone, it's like everyone and their mother is on the podium that people you never, never, you don't even know exists, but everyone that works at, at truly at the paint shop yeah, up in Corona, like everyone's there soaking in the moment. And you're like, man, like we just win a, the biggest race of the year so far. And 
just seeing how everyone celebrated it and everything like is something that you don't see often. Like you only see that like when teams win championships, like that's when salespeople show up and stuff like that. But to see that at the first race, like it, it's pretty something, it's pretty, yeah, pretty cool to see. And then you're like, man, imagine if, if Troy parties this hard after a race, imagine what Troy's going to do if he ever wins a championship. Like mm-hmm. my God, he might burn, <laughs> he might burn the semi down. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Trust me. I've, I've been around for a couple of those because he had that string of luck, like Sealy <clears throat> winning them and, and just all yeah. these just big wins that they had around that time. And you're just yep. like, wow, dude, Troy can't miss when it comes to Anaheim. Um, oh no, yeah. I think Shane won, um, three Anaheims in a row, maybe, maybe 2000, 17, 18, or yeah, I don't know. Maybe one, two or three in a row at A1. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing as a mechanic that I've always like really talked to you guys about, um, you're very particular about the tools you use. Everybody's got a brand. It's just like photographers. You know, we, I only want to shoot on one certain type of camera, use a certain type yep. of computer. Uh, what kind of tool guy were you? And then was it weird when you had to use a tool sponsor at TLD KTM? Yeah, so obviously, like you know, you're a mechanic, so you're you're investing in yourself. Like you, these teams don't provide tools for you, like like they do like they do these days. Like you know, these teams have sometimes they have a tool sponsor, and then you know you have to use their stuff. So the whole time that even when when you're a privateer and amateur, like you're racking up these sets of tools because you need a race bike, you need a race set that stays on the truck, you need a a, a complete set for the shop, and then you need um, another half set to go practice in. And testing during the week so you need two to three sets of tools and they better be good stuff because if it's not good stuff it's gonna break you're gonna run out bolts you're gonna strip screwdriver you're gonna strip uh heads off of bolts if you got shitty screwdrivers like you know so the whole time i'm accumulating all this badass snap-on stuff and then <laughs> yeah we get this sonic uh sonic tool sponsorship and then they're like yeah you have to use this stuff i'm like i'm not using this shit like it's garbage like no disrespect but the tools were garbage like i'm like i'm not using it i just i have twenty thousand dollars in tools that you tell me i just have to take home like what am i supposed to do with all this stuff now like um, so they're all right like well you can i guess kind of what what, me and tk butt heads over a little bit about that but i mean i understand it because they pay money to the team so you need to use their stuff but at the same time, I'm a mechanic, and you want to use good stuff. Like you don't want to be using trash stuff, and then oh, hey, I just stripped out this, um, or I rounded off this nut because this wrench sucked because it's garbage, you know. Like, so I always Sonic had some good tools and had some bad tools, and I kept all the bad tools. I replaced them with all my Snap-on stuff secretly, and then whenever there's a Sonic guy at the race or someone was taking photos. I always made sure I had like the sonic screwdriver drawer open or I would use the sonic screwdriver, you know, like, so you just kind of, very crappy. Yeah. You just got to know how, when it's okay. You always, dude, you always got to be out looking for guys like you taking photos. Like, no, like I love that. Like it's sick how yeah, you, but you, do it. you you know that like if it's something like that, we'll work with you. You know, that, no, yeah. exactly. And that's what is so good about, you know, you get to learn, like yourself or all the other guys, like that guy be like, they're like, Hey, like, is this okay if I take a photo of this? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Like, it ain't no big, big deal. And then like, there's some guys out there that they don't, you know, they're just out there snapping photos and posting it. I'm like, bro, like you can't be taking photos of this thing or like, like 
you look out for me and I'll let you take photos of whatever and vice versa, you know, like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like, yes. And that's, yes. What, that's, what's, that's what's cool about there are certain people in this sport that are like that and you'll go to war for those people. And then there are certain people that you, you won't do a thing for, like you won't, you know, pour water on them if they're on fire. Like, like it's just how it is. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, I get it. I get it. Okay, working with Shane, um, another East Coast guy, um, but he's completely different because he does have that mentality. Like he's very feisty, but like mm-hmm. you said, you do have to push him to to get the most out of him. Um, right. What was yeah. it like working with him? Because Shane is such a nice dude, but you, like you uh-huh. said, you have to get it from him. And and what's that line to walk? So to backtrack, it's kind of funny because the whole last year that me and Cooper are amateurs were racing Shane. Like Shane's our biggest competitor, and like we would go to the spring nationals and Shane would get the whole shot and be gone like 15, 20 seconds out in front gone while Cooper's starting last because it was a concrete start and he was terrible at him. And then we'd catch him at the end of the race. Like our last year amateur, we won everything. Like, like we beat Shane, we won everything. Like, and then to go end up working for him, it's funny. Like it just comes full circle. And thankfully like Shane didn't hold a grudge. Like we didn't have any grudges against anyone. So that was cool. And then, um, yeah, just being able to – Shane respects it when you push him. Like, I'm like, dude, like, I'm only telling you this because this is your best interest. Like, like I know I don't have the best mouth, so sorry in advance. Like, if I tell you things and they're pretty stern or I come off wrong, but I'm only telling you this because at the end of the day, it's going to help you. Like, I'm not just going to be there and be like, hey, right, good job, buddy. Like, you did good. We got fifth tonight. Like, no, fifth's not acceptable. Like – you did this, this, and this wrong. If you would have done this, this, and this, you would have been on the podium. Like, like, um, like that. And that's what Shane loved about me. And like for him to respect that was really cool. Like, I guess, I mean, I don't really know what else really. No, no, no. (laughs) So then, um, that's a good point you made though, about telling a writer when they could have done something better that night. Uh, over time, you know, especially you even going back to south of the border and you see what these coaches are telling guys and identifying things in technique or what's faster lines or gear selection. Is that something that you also learned on the job? Is that something over time that you, you seeing so many dudes watching so many different riding styles that you were able to identify to your guy and then translate to him? Yeah, exactly. Like the whole time, like, you know, you're out at track. So, you I mean, you should be watching everyone riding and picking up on different techniques or watching when your guy's shifting like or if he's shifting in the air or before he's landing like you know like if you want to be good at a mechanic it's more than just keeping the bike together like you gotta help your guy get better also like like if he doesn't ride the bike to its ability you gotta be able to tell him why like what he's doing wrong and like and like that's just that just comes with wanting to win like if you don't want to win, then you're just going to go out there, keep back time, keep lap times together. And then, you know, in the day, in the day say, Oh, Hey, good job today. Like we did good. We did our motos. Like, um, but wanting, having that desire and driving myself to do good and win championships and win races, like, like you're always trying to get better. You're always looking at technique. You're always going back home and watching like YouTube videos. YouTube videos are like, say we were going to Southwick and Jeffrey Hurlings is obviously a badass sand rider. Like I would go and watch these videos of like, man, like what's he doing in the sand? Like, like 
how is he doing this? How is he doing that? And then, or like you see guys that are really good in the whoops, like Christian Craig this year, like for example, I would literally stand beside the whoops and videotape Christian going through them and watching his body, trying to slow-mo it, seeing when he's shifting his weight, what he's doing. And dude, he would get mad at me. Like he'd be like, dude, stop doing that. And I'm like, because he knows it's going to your guy, which is his title exactly. rival. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I'm like, I'm like, bro, like, if you want to get better, come out here, come out. Like, I don't know how you're gonna get better off Colt because you spank our ass every day at the test track, but I can get better off you. So I'm going to get better somehow. And, and then, um, yeah, it's just going, it's just doing your homework and then trying to relay it to your rider, like, and even like watching film, um, during the Supercross races, um, or during like practices, like you. I would always want to be watching the film with the guys, like, so you can see it, like, just not checking over the bolts again, like, for the 12th time, making sure that it's good. Like, I want to be involved in everything that my rider's doing, my rider's watching, and then everything with the bike. Like, I want to know why we're changing this, what, like, what was his comments? Like, it's just having your hands in everything is, I feel like, what I was good at and able to translate that to the rider, to the team, like stuff like that. Okay. Uh, to go back to star, what, what prompts you to come back to the team for 2020 and 2021? Well, first with Shane, first with Shane, because Shane's going and then you get matched up with Colt. My bad. This is something that's funny and no one knows about, but now I can tell it because I don't, I don't care. So in 2019, KTM came out with a new bike that was different than the 18, like very, very small changes to the frame that people don't the normal person wouldn't know but it was in a direction that shane did not like like we'd always try to set shane's bike up to be balanced to have a good balance front to rear and rear to front and this bike always would have weight on the front which is the opposite of what shane liked he's like dude if anything we can put weight to the rear and i'll be fine he's like but i cannot get the weight off the front and no matter what we did we could not fix it. Like, dude, we had, we went this testing. This is when, like, for... Tickle was testing with you guys, too, even. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And then, um, so, yeah, dude, we did everything to that bike. And, like, I mean, Shane did good on it. Like, he he won a Supercross race and a couple podiums. But, um, but <laughs> I should say he wasn't even on that bike because we, in 2019, we ended up racing the old frame in Supercross. I remember this because there was a lot of like, hey, don't, don't, uh, if you look at the frame closely, you can see certain things that are different. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, um, that's pretty, that was a pretty funny story because like, dude, the whole off season's changed. Like, dude, I want to go back to the old bike, old bike. I'm like, dude, you can't. Like, that's not an option. Like, uh, and I'm like, we can't do that. And so the whole off season was str- like struggling. I'm just listening to Shane. Like, you can just see him just doubting himself, like, doubting himself, getting discouraged. I'm like, dude. Uh, like I went to TK, I'm like, dude, we have to do something. And he's like, all right, I'll, um, I'll go to TM and talk to him. And then they're like, look, you have to ride this old, you have to ride the, the bike. Like there's nothing you can do. And so, um, I'm like, you know what? I know there's not much difference in this frame. So I'm going to try to make the old frame fit. And so, dude, I would, after everyone would leave at the shop, like I had, I still had an old frame, thankfully upstairs waiting to get recycled and um i do i just started piecing the thing together i'm like dude if we do just a little bit of a different bend or move the mid pipe mount some 
somehow like we can make this work like we can ride this bike and then um so i called shane i'm like hey i was like do you have a frame down there and i was because he was down in florida riding and i was like look have your practice guide miles get the frame and you gotta do this this and this to it and go ride this thing i was like have miles stay late after all everyone else leaves and then build this bike like this and i want to know what your comments are and and it's funny because Shane was like dude I I literally just told Miles we need to try to do this and I was already working on it in California and he's down in Florida working on it on his own like and for people that don't know he's yeah he's a very like crafty minded dude very tool oriented he builds a bunch of stuff yeah 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 right like so for him to be able to go they're working on that by themselves in Florida. I didn't know about it. I think they were scared to tell me. And then I'm in California work doing, like we're doing the exact same stuff on two opposite coasts. And now that neither of us knew about the other doing this. And then, so, um, <laughs> so Shane goes down there and I think, um, TK actually might've been flying down there to try to see if he could help him. Like TK didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so TK's going down there with him and Smitty. Like, they're going to go test the 19 bikes, like, see if we could get better. And so TK maybe arrived on a Tuesday and Shane rode Monday on the old frame and immediately calls me. I could just hear it, like, just how excited he goes. He goes, dude, he goes, you ain't going to believe it. He's like, but I had the old feeling back. Like, we might have to work on a little bit of things now because we're so far out in left field. But just the feeling I have in this frame is it. I was like, well, there's your answer, buddy. Like, so now we got to figure out how to make this work. And thankfully we put up such a, a stink with it that Raj and Ian, they were like, look, you guys can race Supercross with it. Cause we know if Shane wins, it'll be his last year in lights cost and he can go 450. So they, they let us race it in Supercross. Good. A couple podiums race, a um, couple of race wins. And then, um, and then he got hurt but to bring you back to why we or how we ended up back at star so outdoor this is it's contract season and outdoors and Shane's riding no bike and dude, and, this riding, is, and this is after you know he missed a couple races and there was that big like mess of did he take a dive and all that yeah so Shane's stock was right. a little damaged at that point exactly and TK hadn't re-signed him yet and then I'm 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 talking to TK, I'm like, dude, why haven't we re-signed him yet? I'm like, he goes, I don't, he goes, oh, he's not, he won't go anywhere. Like, he's good. Like, we'll re-sign him, blah, blah, blah. I got to get Smitty figured out first because Smitty was maybe talking to PC and, and they were going back and forth. So Smitty was the first priority because they didn't think Shane would leave. And then, so Shane's struggling, struggling, struggling outdoors. And then one day I called Shane and I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about leaving to go to a different team and he goes no he's like i've never thought about leaving to um to go anywhere i'm like well look i was like you got one more year in this class to win a championship then you're 450 and you're gonna have to ride this bike that you hate i was like do you think you can get it done and he goes man i don't i don't know i i really don't know and i'm like look you need to call bobby and brad right now and i guarantee you they will give you a contract and this is maybe do I think a week, uh, maybe a week before the first national or maybe the second week. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, he called, he called those guys and they had a, 
I uh, let over in tent waiting for him at the hotel the first national we went to. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So, so once again, I re- like you're I the was, recruiter. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I was, and I was like, look, I was like, if you end up going here, I'm going to get fired for doing this. Like once they find out, I'm like, I'm gone, hundred percent. So I need you to say, hey, I'm not coming here unless I can bring Matt with me. And so thankfully he had my back and he, um, yeah, when he, it came contract time, he was like, look, like, I don't, I'm not coming here unless Matt, unless I can bring Matt and, you know, I hadn't burnt any bridges and everyone saw I was doing pretty good and yeah, they, they, then they come back. Okay. Um, I mean, but that's a, that's a pretty big risk on yourself to want to leave KTM, especially knowing what it is, uh, to go back to star. So was there something that you knew, like, hey, I know, I know what we can do over there. This is where we're going to have the opportunity because, I mean, that's a big effort on your part, Matt. Like, I mean, that was no. huge. That was, yeah. but you no. know, like, you know what they're going to do over there. It's the changes that yeah. he's probably going to feel comfortable with because you know the background of the bike and the way things are. You know the team structure, and mm-hmm. you know there's no diff- There's no way he's going to get away from those struggles that he's feeling on that old frame. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it was either. You know, stay and resign for there and for suffer. another year and, and suffer and hope that you can get it done and not be really confident in your bike and your equipment. Or, like, Star is winning everything. Like, you know, they won three championships with Cooper. They won two outdoors with Jeremy. Um, I think AP was winning the outdoor title at the time. Like, they, and maybe he won the um, – or he was winning races in Supercross. Like, that was the team. The bike – the engine is night and day better than any other engine that's out there. And I'm like, dude, if you go and ride this bike, you will win. And I mean, and he did like, he came really close to the championship, the closest he had ever come. If it wasn't for Daytona, I think he would have won it. Won the championship. And then, um, yeah, I mean, how could you not go to how could you not want to go to Starlight? They were the team then and you know you have one year, so I need to align myself on the best equipment to go there. And thankfully they were, you know, willing to take both of us there, which they did. So Okay. To see Shane do as well as he did and know that he was in the title fight for quite some time up until, you know, things go on break, he has the issues mm-hmm. that he has. Um, what was that like for you as a mechanic to be like, fuck, I think I'm getting close and then the rug kind of gets pulled out from underneath you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for sure it's close. I mean, but I mean the whole time, like that's why you're a mechanic because you want to be in these fights and you want to be close. And then you're like, fuck man, like, here we go. We're, we're out again. Or we had, we got a fifth place tonight. And I know what we were like, capable I know, of. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know what you're capable of. And I know in a lights championship, you can't have a fifth. Like, you have to be top three every supercross. Like and then you're you're probably gonna win a championship. Like you cannot have a fifth. The series is so short and there's the cream always rises to the top. There's always two or three guys that are gonna either win second or third every night, and there's not gonna be a surprise more than likely. Like like the top three is usually what it is, and like you can't have a fifth. Like you just can't. And then it was funny because right at that right at Daytona at star when he got fifth i'm like well um, this is gonna be the one that you look back at and you're gonna be like fuck i blew it Mm -hmm. i mean and like (laughs) i mean and 
like no dis like i'm not not trying to like talk going down on shane but dude we killed them in practice we killed them in the heat race i think we won the heat race by like 15 seconds like murdered them and then um got a second place start second or third place start and tries to pass jordan smith around the outside on lap one in like the third corner i'm like bro and then just gets wiped out i'm like i'm like bro you like you didn't like you can't, like, you can't do that. You can't do that. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. like, you cannot do that. I'm yeah. like, you were the class of the field all day, and it's not even close. Like outdoor specialist Jeremy Martin can't catch you. Like wasn't wasn't gonna wasn't gonna beat you tonight. <laughs> and then um, I'm like, bro, you just had to wait till you got to the whoop section because you that's where you were gonna murder these guys at. And if you would have just waited, you could have got by Jordan there. Like there's a few people in this sport that you don't pass on the outside. And Jordan Smith was one of them. <laughs> so, um, to work with the star team, then uh, the way that you guys did to go into, you know, getting Shane adjusted to a whole different outfit, you knew a lot of the guys that were there probably already. Uh, you knew kind of mm-hmm. the expectations and stuff. So, how nice of an asset is that to tell him, "Hey, this is what to expect. This is what they're going to tell you. This is what they're capable of." Yeah, it it was great because everyone always sees the outside picture, like there's this big persona about star and how tough they are on everybody. I'm like, so it's good to already know what Shane, what to expect for Shane going into it. So to, before you even sign, I was like, look, this is what's going to happen. Are you capable of this? Like, can you handle it? Like, this was like, and he was like, yeah, he's like, that's what I need. I'm like, all right. I was like, Bobby's going to be hard on you. Like, like he ain't going to sugarcoat nothing and tell you, Oh, good job. But he's going to be, Straight up, probably call you a lot of things you've never been called called from um, by by your boss. So I was like, "Be you better be prepared." And yeah, they pushed they pushed Shane man to a level that he's never been pushed pushed to before. I will say that. Okay, um, knowing how things go through the rest of your, you know, Shane moves on, has to point out, goes to the 450 class with Moto Concepts. How do you get paired up with Colt? You know, Colt's been part of the team for a while. You've probably seen and followed him, but you know, hey, there's a lot of talent there, but he is one of those guys that still has some rough edges to knock off, plus some bad luck with injuries and things. Was right. that a guy that you got gravitated towards, or was that a team assignment? Uh, dude, it's kind of weird how this all is all full circle. So um, at the time, Colt had Trevor as his mechanic, and then um, we signed Christian in Salt Lake City, and so I'm like, well, I'm going to end up working for Christian. Like, that was the, the consensus. Like, there's no other openings. No one else needed a mechanic. Like, I was going to go and work for um, work for Christian. I was like, all right, whatever. And then um, Trevor moved over to the engine side of it to this thing. And then Colt had an opening. And the, the whole time, I don't. it doesn't even dawn to me, dawn on me to go work for Colt. Like, all right, like I think I can get, I think I can get this done with Christian. Like, you know, good starter, good in whoops. That's what you need. Then I just gotta help. I just gotta work on his on his mental side of him, like with him, like you know, push him with that. And then, um, dude, we're at some outdoor, and I'm in the hotel, and Cooper texts me, Cooper Webb, and he's he goes, "Hey, what are you doing next year?" I'm like, "I don't know." Like, I'm gonna go work for Christian and blah blah blah. And he goes, oh, okay. And like, it was weird because I felt like there was something he wanted to ask me, but he wouldn't just come straight out and ask me. So I text Seth. I was like, hey, what's Cooper want? I was like, I know. I feel like he's 
he's got something he wants to ask, but um, he wouldn't ask me. And then, um, so it was, he was trying to ask me if I wanted to work for him, be his practice mechanic. And so I thought about that, and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to go down that route, but it would be cool to get back with you. And then, um, and then um, I asked him, I was like, hey, who do you think I should work for next year? I was like, you think I should work for Christian, or you think I should work for Colt? And without hesitation, he goes, Colt 100%. He goes, there's no doubt. And he's like, Colt will win next year. I'm like, huh. So that just got me thinking. Like, that was the first time, dude, I'd ever thought about working for Colt. Like, it didn't even dawn on me to go work for him. I think probably because he was out the whole year. Like, you don't, you barely see the guy ride. So, you, you know, out of, honestly, out of sight, out of mind a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And then so I started making a pros and cons list of Colt and Christian. And um and then Cooper gave me some pros and cons like and then a lot of like what mine were it matched up to both of them and then um yeah I ended up having a meeting with Will I was like hey who do you think I should go with and he kind of said what he thought a little bit he goes but I'm not he's like I'm not telling you who to work for but like you know here's pros of this one pros of this one and then, um, yeah I ended up um having a meeting with. Brad and Will, I was like, hey, like, I think I want to work for Colt. Like, there's some things that I kind of thought of about Christian and that Cooper brought up about Christian. And they make a lot of sense. And then um, I don't want to say too much because. Yeah, no, no, dude, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And then um, I, mean, yes, I ended up jumping ship or before I decided, I text Colt. Like, dude, this is the first time I've ever talked to him, really, like, other than that test track. I was like, hey, I want to go to dinner with you when I get back next week. So we ended up, we go to dinner, and it was awesome. Like, he was telling me how he's made these changes in his life, um, you know, a couple of changes with training and, like, getting stronger, a couple of the weak points he was working on. And then um, he was like, I need someone to push me, though. Like, I really need you to push me. I'm like, no problem. Like, I will push you. And then – um. So that, so after I went to dinner, I went to shop the next morning, had a meeting, and I was like, "Look, I want to go work for Colt," and they they let me do that. Okay, um, that just kind of speaks volumes to how much you have to know all about the guy. You know that that dudes, right. even writers, talk about guys like, "Hey, Colt, uh, you know, Matt's gonna push you. Matt's gonna this. Matt's gonna that." Your guy's right. reputation does get passed around the pits, and mechanics, um, writers, and mechanics talk just as much as anybody does about who they should work with or how things mm-hmm. should go. So that's good of Colt to see that in you and the team to make those changes happen. So, right. you know, after all of these years, you're finally in this championship winning situation. You know, Colt comes into the season, you know, a little bit under the radar. I think a lot of people know what he's capable of, but he just never put it together all the way yet. Um, to, but to see him do it last year was, was incredible. And for you as a mechanic to finally get that accomplishment, yep. what was the 2021 season like? for the good things knowing, Hey, we're winning and things are going in the right way, but also mm-hmm. in a bad way of knowing, fuck, I have a big decision. I'm going to have to make the team has bought this property down in Florida. I'm going to yeah. have to make this big cross country move. Do I want to keep doing these things? Right. You know, I mean, you, you have a lot of good and a lot of bad happening at the exact same time. No. Yeah, for sure. And like, they're like, even like it even like goes back before the season started, like at Houston, like dude, all off season, like, Christian is kicking our ass at the test track. Like, like we could go, we could go to Hemet where like it's um, like it's ruddy. The tracks, the track deteriorates. Like it's 
it kind of forms up like an East Coast track, you know, like, and we could beat, we could beat Christian there. That was it. We couldn't, and every once in a while at State Fair, we could be a little bit quicker. But, dude, every time we ride the test tracks, anywhere else, dude, he would kick our ass every day. Like, and it wasn't even close. Like, Christian could beat the 450 guys on most days there. So the whole offseason, like, we're just getting killed. I'm like, my God. I'm like, <laughs> like, like, this season's going to go. Like, is Christian going to do this at the race? And, but, like, that comes back to the a couple of the comments and the pros and cons list because I knew this would happen. Like, and other people had told me this too. Like, look, Christian's going to be a test track God. He's like, but if you can keep your guy close, he's like, you'll be fine once you get to the race. And then, so we go and dude, people don't even know we came to the first race injured. Like a week before the round one, we're like we tried to switch coats because we weren't ready like colt was not ready he was hurt we go test uh test the race bike during a, during one of the the week before two weeks before he cartwheels it in the whoops and then like yeah dude like we're coming in there injured and I'm like, my god like if we can just get out of here and still be in in the um I was like, that, that'd be a miracle and then because dude we had what jet Forkner, Hampshire, Christian, Cole. Um, I feel like there's some more people in there, but dude, our coast was stacked. And, um, yeah, Christian goes out and wins the first race. I'm like, my God, here I go again, making another wrong decision in my career. Like, first wrong decision was leaving Cooper, and then he goes out there and does this. And then I switch right before the, or I switch riders in the offseason from Christian to Colt. And now Christian goes out there and wins this race, like, and we get third. I'm like, fuck. And then, um, so dude, like the whole time in the off season, I'm, I'm like, you're just trying to build up your guy. You're like, look, you're closer. Like we're gaining a tenth. We gained a tenth on him today. Like we're gaining, we're gaining a little bit. We're working on technique. Like we're getting you ready. Like just to try to keep him in that mental state of when he gets the race, he's like, okay, like. I'm good. Like I know this guy's unreal at test track, but I'm gonna elevate it at the race. And yeah, after we go to Houston, Christian wins. Colt gets third. On the way back, me and Colt are riding back on the bike together. I think, or like walking through the tunnel, just me and him. And I'm like, look, I was like, you're gonna win this championship. I was like, we got them right where we want them. I was like, you let him go out there and win race one. And our goal the whole year was to go out there and put it on the podium every race. All nine races, be on the box. I was like, if you can do that, more than likely you're going to win this thing. So round one, we get third. Round two, we get second. I think maybe Christian gets third. Round three, we win. Christian gets second. So each race, Colt's getting better, and your competition is going the other way. You know what I mean? And I'm like, look, I was like, you knew this was going to happen. Like we knew coming here, going to the race, the East Coast tracks are more your style. They're ruddy. The tracks deteriorate. That is what you love. Like when we would go to Hemet, you beat him. Like that's what we're going to be racing on, and you're going to be fine. We go to Indy, the track. Go to Indy. You know how Indy is. Indy gets shitty. Indy gets ruddy. It gets rough. I'm like, look, this is where you need to do it. I was like, you need to keep your foot on his throat, and then eventually he's going to break. And we're gonna see it, and then he'll be done. Go to Indy, win the first race. Um, Indy two, catch him in the heat race, pass him. 
catch him in the heat race on the last half, I think, and pulled up right to his rear wheel, I think. And, you know, it, heat race was so short. Um, main event, second in the race, catch him, pass him, leave him. Third in the race, win the catch him and pass him in the heat race. And I was like, look, he's quitting right now. You're good. He's about to break. I was like, if he's not broken already, like you could see it, like you can see it in people's faces when they're just demoralized. I'm like, right. There's your moment, buddy. Like we got this. And then boom, hole shot cartwheel. And then he comes back to Colt comes back to third and Christian wins. I'm like, fuck. Like, I'm like, I'm like we threw it away. Like we could have ended this championship tonight. Like, Granted that you stay healthy on a break and everything, like he's done. Like, like you broke him. That was it. And and we only had two races left. I was like, he's not gonna catch you in two races on points if you get second. And um, for Colt to come from last dude to third, I think was more of a statement than anything than going out and winning the race. Like, it's like, look, we threw this one away and gave you a gift. Just know that you got a gift from us. Like, like that's how. That's how I tried to look at it and tell it to Cole. I was like, look, you gave him a gift, but you still came back to third. I was like, you think anyone else could have done that? You think your main competition would have, number one, got up and not rode back to the pits and quit and kept going? Or do you think he would have got back on his bike and came back to third? I was like, I think he would have done the first option. I was like, he would have just quit and and that's it. Like, oh, well, whatever, ain't no big deal. But like, you made a statement, rode through this pack and passed Jet. Like, you came back to third and saved your championship. Like, that's – we're fine. Um, yeah, and then got healthy and then went to Orlando, got second maybe, I think. Uh, yeah, second because I think Jet won. And then um, – I don't remember the rest of the season. <laughs> it's just a blur. Yeah, no, it is, dude. It is such a long... Oh, we go to Salt Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah, Salt Lake. First Salt Lake, Christian gets hurt. Everyone's like, oh, championship yours. Championship yours. Just ride it in. Like, you just can't you can't let Shimoda win. I'm like... And I'm like, no, dude. I'm like, don't... I'm like, the championship's not ours. Like, we still have to go out there and, and like, race this thing. Like, and go out there to win. Like, the minute... Uh, and, dude, the whole time after Christian's getting hurt, everyone's telling Colt, congrats. Like, you're winning. I'm like, stop. I'm like, this shit is not done yet. I'm like, dude, Colt can go out here in the main event first lap and get hurt. And and it's still not. Like, it's not over. Like, stop that shit. Like, stop playing defense. Like, um, so we get called in the office and we have a big meeting. Like, oh, you guys just got to just beat Shimoda. That's all you guys got to do. That's all you got to worry about. And then. You know, playing defense. I'm like, dude, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we not trying to go out there to win the race? And, um, and like, dude, I'm pissed. Like, and just like, you know how it is. Like, you don't ever play defense. You minute you play defense, it says the minute something fucks up. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's playing defense, and I'm trying to, um, you know, help Colton not play defense. And I'm like, look, we're going to go out there and win this thing and get it done. Like, that's it. And just everyone putting that in his head that oh just don't beat or don't let Shimoda win blah 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 and then Colt fucks up the start and then and then what happens Shimoda wins the race like and then and like nope this is your guys' own fault for doing this like so then <laughs> yeah then at the shootout or he he just had to ride it ride it out so 
Um, as all of this is going on, and you know this move to California or from California to Florida, you know, is inevitable. It's, it's coming at any point in time. Uh, mm-hmm. The workload that you guys had last year was probably more than ever because you're simultaneously race bike mechanic, practice bike mechanic, closing down the shop that was right there in Temecula, sending it across the country. All of these things that you're working towards. What was the moment for you that was like, I think I, this is it. I think I've had enough. Dude, not like honestly the whole like the whole supercross season um like they told us maybe in november that we're going to florida so i sold my house in california i was pumped i was like hell yeah like i'm going back east it's gonna be awesome and then um i'm like i'll keep doing this for another year i'll do this with colt try to win this one more year and i never really had that itch to go to 450s like i, I went there or like to do 450s again like there's only a handful of routers that you want to work for when you're on a 450 I mean, and I just don't want to, I didn't want to struggle for a year as a rookie and then, you know, go to, what is it, 28, 30 races? Like, it just didn't interest me. So I was like, look, I'll, I'll move to Florida, work for Colt another year, try to win this thing, and then try to get lined up, line myself up again with the best rider that we have on, a, on the light spike. Like, I don't like whoever that would be. Like, I don't know. Like, um, and then you, yeah, dude, like after we won the championship at Salt Lake, literally the Monday that I get back to the shop, I don't know. There's just like a weight, like again, like a weight lifted off of my shoulders. Like, like you get it. Like you did what your goal was, like to win a championship. Like that's what you wanted to do. And now you can say, okay, like I'm good. If you want to go do something else, go do something else. Like there's no one telling me, hey, go do something else. It was just like a, I don't know, just like a big, bubble and it popped and you're like all right i can breathe like i'm good like that's how i felt i'm like you know what i'm good like i can go have a life now and go do something else and then um and then yeah you know just during the whole outdoor season you know some people are in florida like you know they're trying to move the shop to florida then you're hearing that the shop in florida is not done yet it's not gonna be done yet when we get there like we are told it's gonna be done like dude it's just the summer was just the coffin in the nail for me to be honest like i would the whole time like this whole summer i was trying to find a different job once the season ended like, whether if it's going to go to a nascar team or go do something else and i didn't know what i was going to go do like i like so I was like, look, worst case is i'll go i'll move east go to florida with the guys if i have to do another year i'll do another year but i really want to do something else and then Thankfully, this thing this came up. <laughs> what um, what do you think it was about this year that made so many mechanics make that decision? Because like anybody that's been following through this off season has heard us talk like, hey, there's a lot of open spots. There's been a lot of shuffling, a lot of movement mm-hmm. going on, guys from you know team to team on the mechanic side. But there's a, quite a few of you guys that have just stopped entirely. Was yeah. That, I- uh, do you think just everybody's kind of reached that same breaking point of like, hey, I've done what I've needed to do, and it's time to move on to the next thing? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, maybe some people have different goals than what I had. Like, you know, my goal was to win races and win a championship. And once I won the championship, I was good to go. Like, and then, um, like, I don't know what other people's goals or dreams are. Like, if they just want to make it and get a top five or get a podium or whatever, like, that's their business. And then, um. Yeah, I don't know. It was just very weird to see the amount of turnover this year that we've seen. Because usually you only see like one or two guys moving teams. But this year there was a couple guys leaving the industry, getting off the road. And the big thing for me 
because I'd always wanted to do something else, but I didn't know what I would want to do because I've done this for my whole life. I'm like, I don't know what else I'm good at. Like, I know I'm very mechanically inclined. Like, I, I got no doubt I can go pick something up. Like, that's no, that's not a question in my mind. I was like, but I don't know what's out there in the real world. Like, what am I going to go do? And then I'm like, and then, the whole, and then another perspective is I'm like, man, like, I'm on the road five out of seven days. I'm traveling. I'm not getting per diem on this team. I don't have any benefits or anything like that. I'm paying my own health insurance, like all that shit. Like, so that's a lot of out of pocket expense. You don't get any, any 401k. I mean, yeah, you get bonuses, but you know, that stuff's not guaranteed. Like, and then you just get a basic salary, but they swing the bonuses so far over your head that you're like, Hey, like, yeah, you might want to work for this amount of money, but you know, your chances of, Doing good, making good mo- good bonus money will make up for it. Um, I just didn't want to live like that anymore. Like I wanted to have a home life. I want to have a life outside of dirt bikes and stuff like that. Like I want to be home every day. Like eventually, I want to have a family. Like I don't want to be the guy that's gone five out of seven days and never see your wife or your kids. Like, like how's that fair to them? Like that's like why even be married or have kids? Like if you're going to be gone that long, like why do it? Like. Like, that's not fair to your significant other, you know? And then, um, yeah, so I started looking, and, dude, Christian from Troy Lee left and went to SpaceX. And that's what really got my gears turning. And he was like, look, he goes, we're good at what we do. It's like, we're very mechanically inclined. And it was like, they love people like us here. It's like, it's like because we're, good, we're go-getters, we're fast, we work fast-paced, like, we're we're just not here to collect a check. And he goes, he goes, it's scary dude to think about leaving because it's all that we've known. And he's like, but there is stuff out here for us that we can go do get paid well and stuff like that. So that I'm like, man, like seeing him leaving, go do that. I'm like, it is possible to go do that. Go do, go do something else and be normal and get paid accordingly and have a life, you know? And I'm, so I started applying and yeah, had a couple interviews, had a couple secret trips I went on for some interviews and yeah, that's no. Okay. So to get to SpaceX, how, I mean, this is aerospace stuff. And for a lot of people that, you know, have probably listened to other podcasts with mechanics and stuff, things that Mathis has done, that's not as out there as some guys think, you know, there is, there's been a couple mechanics from moto that have gone on to that. Um, there is some crossover. What is it that's so interesting about that element to you? Um, I don't really honestly don't know. Like, it's just weird kind of how I gravitated towards it. Like I started watching like on YouTube, like all the launches, like, like the development of this new rocket that they have, and then just learning about everything, I'm like, man, like, this is something I'm actually really keeping up with. Like, maybe I need to pursue it. Like, seeing Christian go there, I'm like, obviously, there's a need for people like us there. And then I was looking on the website, I'm like, man, there's a bunch of, like, like there's no positions for us. Like, technicians, really, it's all, like, engineers and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he goes, like, he goes look, you need to look for this and look for this kind of a header in the job opening. Like, that's what you'll be considered, like engineer kind of style technician and um yeah so i started applying and you know i got rejected dude probably 15 20 times like oh sorry you don't meet the criteria blah 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 and i just kept after it. i'm like eventually 
I'm going to get an interview and that's all that I need. Like I just need one interview to get my foot in the door and I'll get a job. Like I believe that. And then, um, yeah, I did. I got, I actually got two interviews for two different positions competing against each other. <laughs> okay. What is the vibe like? What do you do? You know, you told me before we got going, but for people that are listening, what does, what does a motocross mechanic go to SpaceX to do? Um, I don't really know how much I can really say. So, okay. I really, so my position, I figured that was going to be one of the details is like, Hey, you know, this yeah. is some classified stuff. So also yeah, very yeah, cool that sure. you have, uh, that level to it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I have clearances to go anywhere on like the Kennedy Cape center, the Kennedy, uh, like on the, on the base and everything. Like today I just went on my day off, went and drove around and checked out the base. Like you go up to this guard shack, and just flash and like show them your badge and like, Oh yeah, come on in. I'm like, fuck, this is, sick and then um so yeah so my position is it on the job title when you look out when you're looking online if you see this job it's called heat shield composite technician so you can go on youtube and google it or whatever you want and get your own analogy about what i do but that's all i'm gonna say about what i do okay okay, <laughs> so okay. i don't want to no that's you know. perfect that's perfect yeah. that's yeah, yeah. just that's i mean just yeah, enough. i'll tell you what i do but I mean, yeah no yeah, no I, I, yeah we're good we're good yeah, yeah. um what is it I mean, that's just such a completely different thing. And now you're probably pushing yourself in a different way to learn different trades of the job. But that same core belief of like, hey, somebody else's life is in my hands right now. It really does still boil down to if I don't do this job the right way, there's a very high chance that something could fuck up and somebody would get hurt. Right. Yeah, exactly. Dude, we're sending rockets up into orbit, like into the, like out into space, like. Like not like not only we're we just sending rockets up there with payloads. Like you're there's rockets with people on it. And like if you fuck up and the rocket blows up with people on it, like how do you think that's gonna look? Like so, I mean, it just goes to like how your race is like or like how I was raised. I was like do it right or not do it at all. Like like don't go in there and do it sixty percent. Go in there and, and do it a hundred percent. Like don't cut corners. Like because like you still have people you like. Take pride in your work, I guess, is is a is a way to put it like that, and that's what I do. And then, um, yeah, it's very new to me. It's very overwhelming at times because it's a lot of things that I haven't done. But I'm picking it like it's getting. I'm picking it up, doing it. Um. So yeah, Matt. Congrats. I mean, that's so badass that you, as a guy, have have gotten to this point in your career. Um, have done all these things. You know, just and and to make that transition and have that realization of like, hey, I'm going to do these other things in my career, make these changes and go go about it, go about this next part of my life because you you fulfilled what you wanted to do. We've heard about other writers and other mechanics talking about when they have that moment of I did it all, what's left to do. Some guys have a little bit of a problem where if they keep going, they never reach that level again and they get burned out. But right. good of you to realize, like, hey, it's just it's time now. It's time to go on yeah, to the next thing time. in my life. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, like I didn't want to be a guy like, like there's guys in the industry that you know, like they're in their late thirties, early forties, still doing this. And like I'm like, dude, how have you guys done this for so long? Like you guys have a wife and kids. Like, like how? I'm like, I don't want to be like this. Like I don't want to be stuck doing this my whole life. Like working. Um, I mean, being gone five days of the week, you know, like working 70 to 90 hours, like getting salary and not being um, properly paid hourly and getting overtime and stuff like that, you know, like, like 
you're you're like why do this like what are you getting out of it in return in five years you're gonna be like oh hey i'm stuck still doing the same thing i'm doing and i'm 45 years old now (laughs) yep yep well hey matt congrats on everything bud uh it's good to see we'll you know, you being down in Florida now, will we expect you to be at some races if the time permits? Like, you still want to be actively around this stuff. It's not like you're just going to turn it off entirely. You want me to be honest? You might. Need... Oh, really? You're I done. Want, you're yeah, done. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm. I mean, I might go to Daytona Supercross, but that's it. Like, I don't want to go. I have no desire to get a dirt bike and start riding again. Like nothing. Like I'm good. I'm burnt out of it i want nothing to do with it <laughs> okay okay hey that's fair that's fair i mean i still keep like yeah, you'll still, still see cool. it yeah yeah i still but i'm not gonna go out of my way and oh hey let's go fly to colorado or go drive 12 hours to high point like no. yeah if it's around yeah exactly i mean yeah i might go to Daytona, but that's a big might <laughs> will you watch on saturdays uh yeah if i'm not if i'm not working and you know if i ain't got life going on Okay. Maybe. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of weird. Like, like even like when you hear like these NASCAR guys, like getting out of, um, like the guy stock racing and like you listen to Dale Jr.'s podcast that he has on and he, he, um, he asked these guys, Hey, do you still keep up with it? You know? And they're like, no, like, honestly, we don't, you know, we might catch a race on TV every once in a while, but this has been our life for 30 years. Like, like we're good. Like it's time now to enjoy the other side of life. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's, I, that's kind of how I am, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that because there's been times even where, you know, I've been in my place in life where I, I've stopped paying attention to it. You know, if I didn't yeah. have a job, uh, before I got hired full time at Transworld, I stopped paying attention for a little bit. And then even when the Transworld to swap mode of life thing happened, you know, I still actively was watching everything, but it kind of fucks up your perception of stuff when you're like, okay, hey, I, I got to take a minute and go go look at something else. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah, no, do that, uh, and that's cool. You know, that, that'll be interesting to see how you apply that much dedication into the next thing that you do at your new job because it seems like the potential is limitless there, and it's yeah. a group that really rewards people that are, you know, forward-thinking and have a well-rounded skill set of, you know, analytical stuff, mechanical stuff, engineering uh, right, you know, relations within the employee thing that everything that you're going to have to, that you've done at this level in moto is going to apply straight into that. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's the thing, like there's so many, um, different avenues I could go down here where I'm at. And like, do there's so many avenues of like promotions and stuff like that, that, that is rewarding. Like, that's why I'm going to work my ass off. Like eventually, like, you know, hey, like there might be this manager position open and we see that you're crushing it. Like you've learned so many different things and you have a good grasp of the whole system. And now we feel like maybe you can manage it or be a lead. Like, like, dude, there's so many great opportunities to move up and just keep bettering your life. I'm like, man, like I can't wait to get to that level. You know, it's good. It's, it's going to be really good. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Knowing how, how much dedication the job took without getting into the details of what you have to do at work, but uh-huh. uh, knowing how much detail-oriented and, and the hours and all of the tasks that you had to do, is the new job as intense as the old job, or is it on a whole other level? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure it's intense. Like, you know, the um, 
you know, if you Google SpaceX, the the mission is to go to Mars and put people on Mars and make us multiplanetary. Like, like that's coming from a lot of hard work, you know, like from everyone, like every, every aspect of the company, like there's so much people there busting their ass and working hard. Like everyone works hard to meet quota, meet a goal, like on things that we do and stuff like that. Like, so it's, it's, um, I mean, it's it's not as stressful. I don't, I don't feel like yet. Like I'm not stressing. And guess what? You leave at the end of the day, and you get to go home, and you're turned off from it, which is nice. Like I felt like with Moto, I could never get it turned off. Like people would always be texting you, or you'd be texting your rider, like at night, or you know, you'd be thinking about some things, like oh, hey, we need to work on this tomorrow. But hey, when I go home now, I go home. Like I, 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 I don't think about that kind of stuff anymore. I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to make myself be better and have more of a life, I guess you could say. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, hey, bud, thank you. Uh, I appreciate this time. I mean, this has been two great hours of talking. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've had so many questions from you guys of what it feels like to get to this point and then to go on to the next thing. And, and fuck, you tagged all the bases. Like, you said everything that anybody would want to say from knowing what it's like to work with a team to a rider to mm-hmm. – what teams expect to how you have to talk to a guy to fabricating these parts and seeing how these things go. I mean, fuck yeah, Matt, you did it all. Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's just, I mean, you just think, yeah, I was a kid with a dream and you know, I, I did my, like I lived it out. Like not many people get to say they accomplished their dream as a kid. Like, like very few people get to say that. And I did it. Like, so, I mean, it just, I mean, it goes out to everyone help push me like like there's you know there's dark there's dark moments and hard times when you're always doubting yourself like dude this is never going to happen but then it comes back to having good people in your corner that you can always count on like dude when like when you're down like when you're down you're like dude i'm never gonna win this thing like there's a couple great people in my corner that i still talk to every day i can talk to them about anything and they like like they keep pushing you to like, Hey, don't quit now. Come on. But like, you're, you're close. You're going to do this eventually. Like, and even like when I wanted to leave, like, and do and and transition to what I am now, like, they're like, yeah, like we got your back. Like I see where you're coming from and all your points. Like it's time. go do it. Like go do something else. And I'm like, fuck. Like, and then, you know, some people are just BS you. They all know, like keep doing what you're doing, but you know, to have good, people in your corner is so key and i cannot thank those people enough like they know who they are i don't i don't need to bring up names but they know they know who they are (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say cool thanks bud i'll talk to you in a bit sounds good